3: with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 22nd of March, 2023. Yeah. Today's episode, another close call between flights, this time in Sarasota, Florida. Two Brits avoid lengthy jail terms by pleading guilty to interfering with flight attendants over the U.S. More news and your feedback, so get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 562 is ready for pushback.
4: Thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based somewhere in the United States of America. And joining me from her lakeside studio in South. Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie IPA connoisseur and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph.
5: Hey, Captain Jeff. I'm excited to be with you guys two weeks in a row and on time again. So hopefully I'll be able to stick around the entire show today.
4: It's duly noted. Duly noted. Thank you. Great to see you, Steph. And also... From his studio, in Hartford, and Hampshire. professional photographer, former RAFRAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, it's Captain Nick.
1: Uh, good evening, uh, Jeff. Lovely to be back on the show again. I almost didn't recognize you. You've put your
4: sexy voice on. To- well, it's because of my congestion in my chest, I guess one of the yeah, those positive, twice
1: so sexy. <laughs>
4: positive side effects. Yeah, until I start coughing it up and then it's not sexy at all. Also joining us from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, newly certified AMP mechanic. I guess I could just say AMP mechanic now. Uh, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff
2: and crew.
4: Great to have you back as well, and also a place to stand, a place to grow, our retired financier, aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and producer, it's Liz Piper.
0: Hi, everybody.
4: Let's do some aviation news. What do you think? Stand by for news. All right. The FAA issues a SAFO, I guess is the way you pronounce it. S A F O. SAFO, SAFO, following recent close calls. Uh, subject Aviation Safety Call to Action. Purpose This SAFO informs the aviation community that several highly visible and notable recent events demonstrate the need for continued vigilance and, uh, or vigilance, if you prefer, uh, and attention to mitigation of safety risks. This Uh, SAFO applies to all aircraft operations conducted under Title 14 of the Code of Federal Regulations, uh, Parts 91, 91 SubCart, Part part K, 121, 125, 129, and 135. I'm 121. Uh, Staff, I think you're uh, 91. 91. And uh, Nick would also be Part, well, 61, I guess, right? Or would you be 91 as well?
2: 91. Uh, I'm certified as a 61, but I operate as a 91.
4: There you go. And folks, if you don't understand what all those numbers mean, I'm right with you in that same vote. Okay. Uh, In recent months, the number of notable and high visibility events have occurred in the, uh, a number of notable and high visibility events have occurred in the national airspace system, the NAS. While the overall numbers do not reflect an increase in incidents and occurrences, hmm, do not reflect an increase, the potential severity of these events is concerning. Six serious runway incursions have occurred. Since January 2023, including an incident at John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York City, involving a ta- where, New York City, a taxiing aircraft narrowly avoiding a departing aircraft and a landing aircraft coming within 100 feet of a departing aircraft at Austin Bergstrom in Texas. In February 2023, the acting administrator of the FAA uh, issued a call to action comprised of a series of, event, of events and initiatives. To ensure focus and attention on risks to the aviation system, senior leaders from the FAA, other government agencies, commercial and general aviation operators, labor partners and others attended a safety summit in Mar- on March 15th, which was just about a week which ago. we
0: covered on APG. We
4: did cover that on APG, yes. And uh, attendees discussed these recent events or incidents as well as ways to enhance aviation safety. Um, And they talked about uh, recommended actions here, and uh, they said that uh, recent events have highlighted, highlighted several areas of focus. Directors of operations, chief pilots, directors of training, check airmen, directors of safety, program managers, pilots, and operators should review the following items and consider taking additional steps to ensure operations are conducted at the highest level of safety, including changes to procedures or training if appropriate, uh, the first item, use of all available internal communication processes to specifically highlight recent events and existing issues. Uh, number two, reinforce adherence to published processes and procedures, including checklist, air traffic control instructions, and internal company procedures. Uh, ensure pilots and flight attendants have the same understanding of what sterile flight deck means and the risks associated with extraneous communication during this time. That's a interesting one. Do you recall any of these recent incidents that uh, involved yeah, it doesn't sterile refer flight deck?
1: Vasectomies.
4: Ah, uh, okay. Maybe that's uh, in the uh, <laughs> the on the next page, perhaps.
1: That's, that might have been what some of the cabin crew thought.
4: Ah, uh, okay. Um, let's see. Explore helpful resources available for, for all pilots at FAA Safety Team, faasafety.com. Encourage crews to. Diligently follow crew resource management, CRM procedures, and principles to control workload and reduce distractions. Encourage personnel to identify and report existing and emerging safety issues through voluntary reporting programs and understand the usefulness of the voluntary reporting system. Review information about runway safety here. So there's some resources here on this uh, SAFO that we'll have in the show notes if you want to check it out. and then uh, Liz and I were discussing this SAFO uh, when we added it to the lineup for today's show. And she thought it was interesting that there wasn't really much mention of or uh, mention at all of air traffic control. And I'm thinking probably because they probably received their own uh, kind of document that uh, is stressing uh, you know, adherence to procedures and other things. I don't know. I, I didn't have a chance uh, to – Follow up on uh, talking to any of our air traffic control friends. Uh, do we have anybody in our live chat that would be an air traffic controller? No. I don't
5: know, but this is this is specifically okay. you know safety alert for operators, so those operating aircraft. Yeah. So I'm sure, like you said, they have their own um,
4: internal. I would certainly hope so. And um,
1: that's quite a long list, Jeff. But it doesn't seem to include anything that's new. No. So I, th- I think really it comes under the. The bit there where they, um, you know, expect people to um, analyze safety data, assess risks and emerging hazards, and ensure they risk mitigate. Uh, just basically, take a step back and, uh, you know, apply the current regulations and rules and uh, the care you're supposed to employ when you operate an airplane um, with added fervor. Uh, yeah it would be a way of putting
4: it yeah okay everybody let's just sit down think about let's just think about everything you know what's going on yeah yeah so there you have it the CFO, the safety alert for operators or op. yeah for operators correct mm-hmm. okay um anything else to say about that
5: okay no but it sounds like we got some more uh Similar things coming up here.
4: Yeah. These people apparently didn't sit down and think about it. Uh, This is from the Aviation Herald. Uh, Ryanair Boeing 737-800 performing flight 6353 from Barcelona uh, in Spain to Milano Bergamo. Bergamo? I don't know. Uh, Italy. With 187 passengers and six crew where it was in the initial climb out of Barcelona's runway 24 left the same time an EAT Leipzig Airbus a 600 uh, registration uh, Delta alpha echo alpha Oscar performing flight 1685 from Leipzig Leipzig
0: Leipzig
4: Leipzig thank you Leipzig to uh, Barcelona with five crew was climbing out uh, following a go-around from about 1,000 feet above ground level on final approach to runway 24 left. Spain's CIAIAC reported that both planes maneuvered apart in accordance with the instructions received from their corresponding onboard traffic alert and anti-collision avoidance systems and continued their flights normally. Uh, They have opened an investigation into the occurrence uh, on the 3rd of March. So when did this happen? Back in uh, 2022, June of 2022. They just released their final report uh, earlier this month. Uh, the investigation has found the cause was the noncompliance procedures on the part of the control services, uh, together with the fact that Airbus A300-600 crew failed to immediately notify their intention to execute a missed approach. Um, I read through this uh, earlier, and uh, the translation from the Spanish to the English is a little confusing to me. Uh, what they were trying to express. I don't know. Did anybody have a chance to to look at this? Um, and if not, I can read it, and then maybe Yeah, we I can gave me- it the once over, Jeff. Okay.
1: What, what areas? Uh, well, do you wanna- um, I
4: it was. I I got confused with uh, here. I'll I'll read some of this, and you'll understand why I'm a little confused. Um. Okay. Uh, Where to go? Okay. With regard to the performance of the Airbus crew, it should be noted that on deciding to execute a missed approach, they followed the procedure set out in the AIP for the runway configuration and force, maintaining an altitude of 1,500 feet. Moreover, they received the TCAS warning. They decided at 1,200 feet. Okay, that's I understand that. Um, instead of expressly contacting control to advise them of their decision to execute a missed. They did so on the back of another communication from the control services, uh, informing them that they would receive a late clearance to land. I wasn't sure exactly what they meant there. Uh, They received the warning that they had a problem with the secondary flight control configuration, I guess the Airbus crew, and control's late clearance message, during which they took the opportunity to report the missed approach. This means that 54 seconds elapsed, which should have been sufficient time for them to take the initiative and informed control that they would be executing a missed approach they should have been the ones to inform the control services at the earliest opportunity i don't know i guess they're coming yeah, in they had a problem a, with-
1: it's a very clumsy um, way of putting it isn't it um when, when as soon as you do a, a go around um you should advise their traffic at the first available opportunity really i mean your hands might be filled full for 10 seconds but um, you really need to let them know and make sure they acknowledge um, because otherwise it might have been a missed call. And if you uh, like they mentioned here, tag it on the back of another call, which might be slightly more uh, important than the controller, might just miss the end of that. So uh, it's, I think that's what they're getting.
4: Okay. Um, also, it seems that the controller, from what I could gather from this, um, uh, was was assuming that the missed approach would have them climb to 3,000 feet. And so they gave yeah, an instruction to the 737-800 to 2,000 feet. But actually, the instrument approach procedure for that particular runway, uh, the missed approach altitude for the Airbus would have been 1,500 feet. So there was confusion uh, by the controller regarding what altitude the uh, Airbus was climbing to and giving bad Uh, directions, instructions to the uh, 737 that had just taken off. Um, I guess they had their hands full, but the TCAS uh, worked uh, in both cases, and uh, they were able to sort it out vertically, um, which is uh, a good thing.
1: Absolutely, but it's never nice to get a TCAS warning when you're relatively close to the ground, because one of you is probably going to be asked to descend, <laughs> and that's not a comfortable, unless you're a good VFR, of course, and That's mm-hmm. not a comfortable situation to be in.
4: Yeah, I think that Airbus uh, A300 is the one that probably got the descend RA, because they went from 1,500, the missed approach altitude, down to yeah. 1,200 feet, yeah.
3: No, there's always because- the one
1: in the sim that makes me nervous when mm-hmm. uh, you're climbing out just after takeoff or perhaps exactly in this situation, relatively close to the ground. And uh, you get an RA and it says descend, <laughs> descend, and you go, yeah. ooh.
0: <laughs> really? How low dare we I go? I want to.
5: It's not the case where those notifications are inhibited on uh, like in a go-around or on takeoff, but perhaps in landing phase, correct? Yeah.
4: Okay. in the landing phase at uh, TCAS 2.0. Has algorithms to know that you're in that particular phase of flight, but if you're doing a miss or on takeoff for both, um, they should be working. Okay. Um, and what it really gets kind of tricky when we're doing uh, uh, the uh, PRM approaches. The uh, uh, I'm sorry, my brain is not working completely today. I mean, it's worse than normal. I should say, I guess. Because of a little (laughs) issue I'm having, Uh, but uh, the 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 precision Precision, approaches uh, with the parallel approaches, um, it's always kind of a tricky thing because they have monitors that you know if somebody is like drifting into your uh, protected path, they're going to break you out, not the person that's drifting over, but you're going to have to get breaking out, broken out, and in that case, your TCAS may also give you a resolution advisory. And they they say okay, follow the resolution advisory and follow the the, the turns that uh, air traffic control are going to give you. So it can, it can get pretty pretty crazy um, if if you're in that situation. So, but they, yeah,
1: I, I parallel approach is something I was never particularly comfortable with. You know, flying a in cloud, flying a parallel approach to a runway that's quite close to you, uh, and all the additional concerns of an airplane you can't really see. Uh, being just off your wing—I I mean, I know you've got a bit of separation—but uh, the whole point of all these complicated procedures we fly there uh, is because you're very close. And if someone flies through the localizer, they could, um, you know, come up to you very, very uh, uh, quickly. You know, it's just not very nice. And then you're descending and being given a turn away, and uh, you know, dual frequencies—it it is an added. Complication. Sometimes you don't really want it, particularly if you don't do parallel approaches very often. It becomes, you know, something to spend a good hour reading before you make your approach.
4: Yeah, and they're pretty commonplace here in the U.S. at the big airports, um, like for instance Atlanta. You know, tri- triple simultaneous instrument approaches uh, are not unusual. Oh.
5: Precision it'd be runway. Not it'd be Nossy'd be
1: the, the meat in the sandwich, wouldn't it? In one yep. of those, a triple parallel approach. Woo! <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs>
1: yep. Uh, in
4: fact, every time I'm on two, seven left or nine right, and there are others on either of the other two landing runways, I do actually use that phrase. We're the meat <laughs> in the sandwich. <laughs> yeah. So be exactly. careful. Exactly. Not nice. No. Unless, of course, you're a vegetarian and you don't eat meat. Sorry.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The controller really, I think, takes the major responsibility for uh, ensuring the separation. He, I mean, he he should know the uh, go-around, the uh, patterns for his runways. I mean, he lives and works there all day, every day. Uh, The guys that fly in there might be doing it once uh, every few months, Mm -hmm. if that. Uh, Yeah. they get it right. They, you expect the controller to have it absolutely pinned down,
4: right? That's what you're trusting. Yep. All right. Continuing on with another item in the Aviation Herald: uh, a British Air. This is a final report. This occurred on the 28th of September, 2022, and the final report was just issued recently. A British Airways Boeing 787-9 performing flight BA16 from Sydney. Australia to Singapore was climbing out of Sydney's runway 16 right following the DINA 7 standard instrument departure procedure, the SID, which required the aircraft to pass DINA and subsequently, having climbed to or above 6,000 feet, turn right about 130 degrees towards cup or ANKUB. Uh, Qantas Airbus A330 200 was performing flight 926 from Sydney to Cairns. Was also climbing out of Sydney's runway 16 right following the Dina 7 SID, having departed about three minutes after the 787 900 and about 6.3 nautical miles behind that airplane. As the 330 uh, was lighter, uh, the aircraft crossed Dina already at 6,000 feet at, at Dina while the seven eighty seven 787 was still climbing. At Dina and initiated their turn only later, thus permitting the A332 to catch up. A loss of separation occurred. The distance between the aircraft reduced to 600 feet vertical and 2.4 nautical miles horizontal. The controller intervened and instructed the A300 to maintain. Uh, wait, is a 330 or a 300? I'm getting confused now. I think I may have, may have missed... It's a 330. Okay, a 330. 330-200. Okay.
1: Yeah, versus
4: the 787. Gotcha. Um, okay. So they were uh, the separation was 600 feet vertical, 2.4 nautical miles horizontal. The controller intervened, instructed the 330 to maintain 9, and the 787 to expedite climbing to 10. Uh, the ATSB reported that dna 7 SID is being revised as the procedure cannot ensure separation due to the criteria set for turning. Uh, they will see in their final yeah, that's report. that's an interesting one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, they're, 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 you can see there on the map that um, the BA PA aircraft uh, passed Dina and then did quite a long straight leg before he turned round and continued on his climb, whereas uh, the uh, A330 hit Dina and turned straight away. So he's effectively cut the corner. So you go, well, uh, you know, surely he's in error. Well, no, because there are two requirements after position Dina, which you can see on the standard instrument departure. You're not only going to pass the point before you turn, but you must reach 6,000 feet. Now, because BA-16 was heavy, he passed Dina, but he was climbing slower. So it took him some time to get to 6,000 feet. When he did, he went around the corner but of course, the other aircraft had uh, turned much uh, sooner, and so they caught up in the um, subsequent uh, merging of their tracks. Um, so you know, it is it is a fault in the in the standard instrument departure. I'm surprised no one ever picked it up before, but now they have. Um, they didn't come that close. to and a half miles um, is more an academic a loss of separation than it is an, a real concern. Uh, so, yes, they, they've they come closer than they should, but I think, don't think anyone should be confused. They didn't, <laughs> you know, two and a half miles is, particularly when you've got radar there and, uh, you know, the radar system alerted the controller to the proximity of the aircraft and uh, allowed him to take Uh, Avoiding action with the crews, so when they say loss of separation, that's all it was. It was no, uh, there was no real risk of collision.
4: Right. Yeah, you're right that that this wasn't this flaw in the uh, departure procedure uh, hadn't been noticed before this occurred is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, They didn't, I guess, foresee that particular circumstance occurring, but they're fixing it.
1: Yeah, they're going to and they're going to take a look at all of the procedures. You <laughs> know, that many airfields in in Australia, but big ones, international ones, were. But uh, you know, there'll be quite a bit of work done now to make sure that nothing similar is uh, existing anywhere else.
4: Yeah, well, Jim Fulton has a message here for uh, for you, Nick, in the live audience. Um, QF driver must also be an Audi driver. Damn road hogs.
1: Tailgating.
0: Cutting people off. Yeah, those damn Audi inside. drivers.
4: You want to watch mm. out for them. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, continuing on, also from the Aviation arrow, uh, preliminary report. Uh, we've talked about this uh, shortly after it occurred, uh, November 6th, 2022. Um, an overrun runway uh, or AT 42 overran the runway on landing and ended up in Lake Victoria. Um, It almost sounds to me like on this report that they didn't actually even hit the runway, but I could be wrong about that. Uh, Let's read a little bit of this thing. A Precision Air Service uh, ATR 42 was flying from uh, Dar es Salaam to Bukopa, uh, Tanzania, with uh, 39 passengers and four crew. They were on approach to runway 31. The aircraft impacted the water short of Bukaba's uh, runway 3-1 and came to a stop submerged in Lake Victoria. Yeah, I don't th- think they ever actually made it to the runway.
1: No, right? It was very misleading. Yeah, that um,
4: headline is not right. Brutal. I think yeah, maybe right. at the time that this first occurred is what they thought had happened, but uh, then right. later uh, evidence showed that they actually never made it to the airport. Um, so let me scroll down to the... Uh, The preliminary report, Uh, Tanzania's Ministry of Works and Transport uh, released this preliminary report. Uh, They were on a visual flight rules final approach to runway 31 at Bukaba uh, in marginal weather conditions when the enhanced ground proximity warning sink rate about the excessively high descent rate came on three times. The warning was not followed by corrective action of the flight crew. Instead, the flight crew pushed the control column into a nose-down position. The aircraft continued to descend fast until the ground proximity sink rate pull-up warning sounded. At this time, the aircraft was descending at a rate of 1,500 feet per minute. The aircraft crashed into the water, and the pull-up action coincided with the noise of the aircraft striking the lake surface. The aircraft broke up on impact with the water, but there was no fire. Of the 43 persons on board, 24 survived without serious injuries, but 19 lost their lives, including the two pilots. The aircraft was destroyed by the impact with water. Um, Much of the flight to Bugaba was uneventful, Uh, cruising at 20,000 feet. The flight reached top of descent. It doesn't matter. Um, There was a public address announcement of expected landing, Uh, and uh, nine minutes later, Mwanza approach advised the flight crew that the weather was fairly good with wind calm, visibility better than 10 kilometers, partly cloudy. So it was 1,100 scattered, 1,300, a few 1,300 CB. So that's, you know.
1: She uh, didn't look out of the window.
4: Yeah, uh, eight I mean, thousand broken. Good. I
5: mean, it just depends on your perspective. Yeah, I mean, well, if you're like, used to like,
4: as we'll
1: subsequently find out, I think. Yeah. As I
5: say, if you're used to like, you know, um, some horrible torrential storms all the time, then that's a fairly good. This is
4: like this is perfect <laughs> weather for uh, staff. I think the kind of flying yeah. she does. No, if
1: any, no. It actually, been that. <laughs>
4: Uh so they just they they just the two pilots discussed, you know, what what runway to use and they pointed out that they may have to approach the airport from the mountains, landing on runway one three, if uh Bukaba remained below the clouds. Uh the crew reported to Muanzu approach. they had Bukaba in sight and were cleared to change to unmanned frequency of one eighteen point two. I guess it's like a CTAF. Um they then they encountered heavy weather over uh commando bay is that right command commando yeah and decided that they were going to land on runway one three uh let's see the pilot command said to the first officer look for the runway indeed in one minute he gave this instructions three this instruction to his first officer three times look for the runway (laughs) okay the uh, fo responded i'm looking uh i thought they said the airport was in sight apparently they had it in sight and then they lost it I guess I'm I'm assuming from this. Uh they lowered the flaps to fifteen degrees, followed by extending the landing gear. At this time the runway was not visible, according to the conversation between the pilots. The pilot in command then decided that they should descend to flight th- uh flight level zero five zero. Not sure what the uh altitude is of the uh air the terrain here.
5: It seems relatively high. Yeah, I think um, so. Because, like, right before they impacted the water, they were at 3,920 feet. Uh,
4: okay. So it's a couple thousand feet, probably, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, subsequent subsequent to this, the autopilot was disengaged, the flaps retracted to zero, and the landing gear was retracted. Evidently, the crew decided not to land and instead climbed to 5,500 feet. Uh, then, at a certain point, the pilot-in-command transferred control to the FO. The crew also started a discussion about the minimum fuel required for diversion, uh the FO suggested a, a diversion to Mwanza would be appropriate, but the go-around was continued. Um the uh pilot command instructed the FO to go to Commando again and try again. This was followed by a PA from the pilot command to inform the passengers that they could not land due to heavy rain and they had to wait until the weather improved. If not, then they would proceed to Mwanza. Um uh, let's see. At uh, a little longer or time later, uh, there was an enhanced ground proximity warning system, EGPWS, warning, terrain, terrain, pull up. However, the warning was not followed by corrective action of the crew. Um, Okay. And uh, the advice from um, Juan's approach was to wait for 20 minutes before landing as visibility was not good. The crew continued to encounter storms and heavy rain as they proceeded to commando. They subsequently diverted to uh, descent to flight level 049. Um, then uh, the pilot command asked the FO to confirm if he had seen Musila Island. The FO confirmed to have seen it. However, in a span of 78 seconds, the crew were trying to locate Musila Island to no avail. I think that's that island that was off the end of, the, or off into okay. the lake, pretty kind of off the extended, I guess, uh, what would that be, 1 3 centerline or 3 1 centerline? Um, yep. Then the flaps were deployed to 15 degrees again, landing gears were extended, the vertical speed was selected at 1,000 feet per minute, 4,500 altitude was selected, and then 25 flaps selected by full flaps, and then the pilot called, uh, pilot command called speed 102, which was acknowledged by the first officer. A few seconds later, the pilot command cautioned the FO, watch your speed, 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 need power, a lot of power, the FO acknowledged. The power levers moved forward progressively to 62 degrees. Uh, At some point, the FO said that he was inside of the runway. The pilot in command proceeded to ask the FO, where is the runway? And the FO replied, look below at at mine, 12 o'clock, but the rain is obstructing. And then the aircraft was about 4,500 feet, selected altitude. The pilot command instructed the FO, let's go a bit lower. This was followed by the selection of minus 400 feet per minute vertical speed descent. And then around 900 feet radio altitude and at approximately one and a half nautical miles from the runway threshold. So let's think about that. Um, 900 feet, that would probably equate on a three-degree glide path to about three miles. So they were yeah. half that distance. So they're quite steep if they were going to continue a, um, mm-hmm. an approach from that point to the runway. Uh, the pilot command said he, he had the runway in sight, and he took control from the F.O., Uh, The autopilot was disengaged. Power levers were moved backwards to 38 degrees to the flight idle position. Uh, The uh, pilot control column effort was above 10, I don't know what this means, D-A-N-3 in nose-down direction. Is that some kind of a a pressure Force or pressure, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, And the vertical speed was 1,100 feet per minute. Distance from the runway threshold was estimated to be about 1.2 nautical miles. The aircraft was at 878 feet. Again, looks like they didn't really descend much from 900 feet to 878 in, in that 0.3 miles. Pitch angle of the uh, airplane continued to decrease while the rate of descent incre- increased to 1,700 feet per minute. Uh, the pilot in command called watch height calls, and the FO replied, okay. At this point, the wind speed was reported by the FO to vary from 19 to 28 knots, Wind direction in the flight data recorder was uh, about 30 degrees. Uh, Let's see. At 500 feet, radio altimeter call out. Uh, And two seconds later, there was an EGPWS warning. Sink rate, sink rate. Whilst the vertical speed was 1,700 feet per minute. That's high. Wind speed, 25 knots. Direction, 032 degrees. Uh, The pilot in command instructed the FO to put the condition lever to maximum. The pilot control column registered effort above 10 DAN in nose down direction, vertical speed 1300 feet per minute and the distance to the runway 31 threshold was estimated to be about 0.6 nautical miles, but the aircraft was at 300 feet. Um, And then there was another enhanced ground proximity warning system, warning sink rate. And one second later, there was a pilot control column effort in nose down direction again, Five seconds later, there was another sink rate warning. Anyway, uh, let's see. Getting close to the water here, the FO called lift up, Captain. One second later, there was a sink rate pull up warning. The rate of descent decreased to 1,500 feet per minute, which is still high. Uh, There was no response from the pilot in command. And then the FO shouted, pull up, Captain. And the aircraft impacted the water. The impact with water occurred at this time while the aircraft was descending at 1,500 feet per minute. And the flight data recorder recorded pilot control column effort in the nose up direction. This was the last point recorded by the flight data recorder. Captain was uh, my age, 64 years old, 23,515 hours total, kind of the same uh, amount of hours I have flying. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, a a very experienced captain. And he was also the company's chief pilot Oh, wow. And he was assisted by the first officer, 46 years old, 2,109 hours total, 1,700 hours on type. So certainly appears to me, based on all the data points from the flight data recorder and the conversation of the uh, pilot crew, that they were just trying to get a glimpse of the runway. And when they did finally get it, they just decided they were going to make every effort to go for the darn thing you know regardless of high sync rates and everything else we were completely ignoring all these things and uh it didn't work out for them
1: no it certainly didn't jeff um i do wonder he's such an experienced pilot i'd be surprised if he fell foul of this but uh Because when you're trying to make an approach in low visibility or heavy rain, whatever, and your forward visibility is low, um, your usual sight picture for the position of the horizon now stops much closer to the aircraft than you're used to. Uh, So it's usually called a depressed horizon. So if you put that... uh, pressed horizon where the rain stops and the, when the ground begins in the usual position on the windshield, you're going to be quite steeply nosed down because the real horizon is well above that. I hope I've explained that adequately, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but uh, it sounds to me a little bit that he might have fallen foul of that and that he was visually flying the aircraft and not, as you have to do in those situations, continually scan back to your instruments to check the nose position and check your rate of ascent, that you haven't got the high rate of ascent, you have plenty of clues. Uh, He got SYNC rate, SYNC rate, um, which is a real indication to start looking at your gauges now, make sure that your approach is relatively stable. Um, And um, just out of interest, uh, DNA is uh, Decker-Newton, and uh, 10 uh, is equal to about one kilogram of force, apparently. Oh.
5: One newton is equal to one kilogram meter per second squared. So the force required to accelerate an object with a mass of one kilogram one meter per second, and this is ten newtons.
4: Is that like I'm right off the? Is hand. that right off the top of your head, Steph? That's, no, that's amazing.
5: That's right off of the
2: Wikipedia oh, answer.
4: Uh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I thought you just had that in your brain. knew your it was brain. newton, but I I'm yeah, it's
2: well, like 23 pounds, 22 pounds. Okay, yeah. for yeah. the Americans out there.
1: Oh, okay. I was just reading the bit. Exactly 10 newtons is used in some fields as an approximation to the kilogram force, but perhaps I misunderstood that. Mm. Anyway, by the by, he was pushing <laughs> pushing on the damn flight controls when he was already in uh, too steep a uh, descent rate, so not good. Not a good action.
4: I agree. And then it just kind of made mention, and it was kind of like, I just threw it out there, and it didn't really make much of it, the fact that, when they were on the nor- in the inland portion with the higher higher terrain, they got the you know terrain terrain pull up and they didn't do anything <laughs> like yeah. okay
1: no well
4: that's I, interesting. I mean,
1: in our company, you uh, were allowed to ignore those warnings, but only in very rare circumstances. Yeah, and one of which was you were completely certain of your position, you had good visual on the ground, and you knew it was a false warning. Right, um, <laughs> but. There many other occasions when you'd ignore that
4: <laughs> those conditions are probably not very common uh, all those things happening at the same time <laughs> right so you know in most cases you hear that you're supposed to execute a you know a terrain avoidance maneuver uh, but yeah exactly. maybe they're so familiar with the terrain in that area that they they knew that to expect to hear that and they knew that they were okay yeah could could well be yeah well okay um Flew the darn thing right into the right into the lake, just shy of the airport. Yeah. That's sad. Anything else before we move on? Okay. This is from uh, Bass Aviation, Real Aviation Communications.
6: Sixteen thirty three of a tower, you ready? American 2172, Airbus taking the runway for departure. American 2172.
4: Okay, we're showing showing some radar plots. 2172
6: going around. American 2172, right here. 2172, turn right, heading two seven zero. Right turn 270, American 2172 Route 1633, contact Tampa Departure Run the switch Route 1633, see ya? We have an altitude for American 2172 American 2172, maintain 3000 3000, 2172 uh, Tampa Departure Route 1633 uh, 1800, climbing 3000, off one 4 4 Route 1633, Tampa Departure, I ten climb to maintain 10000 10000, 000. 000, here comes the I, ten Route 1633 Funky 537, flight in 040040, please. Zero, 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 five, three, Number 5, Charlie Fox, contact center to maintain 2000. Going to maintain 2000, 5, Charlie Fox. 2172, contact sample departure. 04537. Two, three, American 2172. Record America 2172, 2.4, contact 3000, heading 270. America 2172, snap departure, identical. I did, America 2172. Route 1633, radar contact 3 miles southeast of Sarasota, flying 220. Heading 220, Route 1633. America 2172, radar contact 3 southwest of Sarasota. expect a visual of runway 14, maintain 3000. Say again for America 2172. America 2172, expect a visual of runway 14, maintain 3000. Maintain 3000, visual 14, American 2172. American 2172, flighting 320. Heading 320, American 2172. Route 1633, turn right direct circuit, maintain 10,000. Right turn direct circuit, 10,000, Route 1633. American 2172, descend and maintain 2000. Descend 2000, American 2172. What was the reason for your go-around? That guy was still on the railway. That's a good reason. Six Tango Tango, descend going maintain four thousand. Four thousand, six Tango Tango. Through sixteen thirty-three, and maintain 000. one
4: one eleven American twenty-one seventy-two, turn right, heading zero three zero. Right turn, heading zero three zero. American twenty-one seventy-two. NTSB is investigating loss of separation between both aircraft. Now, honestly, I didn't do uh, much show prep at all. I didn't. I, that's the first time I've seen this uh, video and listened to the uh atc uh communication and i was thinking to myself why are we why are we still playing this video at this point but i guess was for the uh the uh comment by the american
2: that's a good reason Tom. yeah that's a
4: yeah the good uh, the, 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 those guys were still on the runway <laughs> that's a good reason yeah that's a good reason can't fault that one yeah um So I don't, honestly, uh, I'm not sure exactly how this uh, resulted in the loss of separation. Was it the Rouge flight? uh, There was some interruption of communications. I mean, I know that it sounded like it from our point of view. Go ahead, Nick.
2: Well, I was just going to say the article, it looks like, you know, they got stepped on maybe when the tower gave them their actual takeoff departure. So they were on the runway and then they, after some time elapsed, asked the tower to verify they were cleared for takeoff and the tower said yeah you're cleared for takeoff and so I think there was a couple of uh, a couple of communication lines that were not shown in that video um,
5: I, don't, I don't think they had them because I think it was all that Jumble right. stepped on communication so it was confusing hearing that but that's why they were unsure as
2: well Right. But I, I can I read don't. this section real quick if you want me to Jeff that, go ahead uh, it says the LC Um, the local controller. controller, The controller cleared ROU 1633, the Air Canada airplane, for takeoff on runway 14 with instructions to fly runway heading and issued Air Canada traffic advisory informing them that uh, the American airplane was on a three-mile final. About 13 seconds later, when the American airplane was on a a two-and-a-half-mile final, the controller issued American a traffic advisory informing American that Air Canada was departing runway one four when American was on a 1.53 mile final Air Canada asked the controller to confirm the departing heading to which the controller affirmed that Air Canada was to fly the runway heading about 53 seconds later, American informed the controller they were executing a pilot initiated go around. Uh, And then it goes on to just talk through the American routing there. Estimated yeah, I mean- closest proximity was 0. 0.6 miles horizontally and at the same altitude.
5: It's pretty close.
2: That's a little closer than the
4: other one we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely a hazard when you uh, are at an airport with a lot of communications going on. And uh, it's, I guess... That's one of those things you have to pay attention to when you're taking a runway and you're expecting a takeoff clearance because you know that the airplane on final is getting closer and closer. And if you hear a transmission that sounds like it may be stepped on or unclear, it's uh, always good to query uh, to make sure that, you know, they didn't issue takeoff clearance and you're just still sitting there. Um, I don't know. Uh, I guess that's what we can learn from this.
2: Yeah, Um, and this is kind of a limitation of technology, right? Because this is… This is a, a radio thing, and uh, not only are, are we limited by how radio communications bump into each other, but there's also not always good feedback about whether or not, you know, there are times when you key up and you know you're stepping on somebody or somebody stepped on you, and there are other times when it's not as uh, not as apparent.
4: That's true. Because sometimes you'll make a call, and then as you stop your radio call, you hear somebody still talking. And go, In the oh, middle of a statement. <laughs> okay, well, I know for sure that that was somebody that you know we were transmitting at the same time. And then as you're just listening to the radio transmissions out there, and you hear something like what we heard at the very beginning of this, uh, where it's just like completely garbled, you know that there are at least two people making transmissions at the same time. And you hope that those people involved – Uh, understand that that just happened sometimes it's not clear as you just mentioned nixie
5: well and the the other um involved party was also the aircraft on approach there so obviously instructions were issued someone else was talking things that were expected to happen did not happen so maybe be a little bit more um uh, just if you find yourself in that situation you're gonna be ready to go around
4: and uh, conditions were clear skies, 10 statute miles visibility. Uh, so in other words, it was – they could definitely see uh, the uh, the Air Canada Rouge uh, jet on the runway um, and uh, probably were thinking – they were probably having a conversation in the cockpit saying, yeah, this, this is not going to work. I mean, yeah. the guy's they, not they even starting were, yeah. his takeoff role. Yeah. So what are we going to do? Yeah.
5: Going
4: around. Going around. All right. Well – that was a happy ending.
0: I think we're finished with the close calls for today.
4: Are we? That We have no more close calls, Liz? I know. I'm Darn. disappointed. Well, I'm sure we'll have some more on the next show.
2: <laughs> uh, I think this was a close call, right?
4: Oh, this yeah, was. Yeah, uh, call with a lengthy prison sentence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steph, do you want to read this one?
5: Sure. Uh, so this is from, oh, Paddle Your Own Canoe, Uh Two Brits escape lengthy prison sentences in a U.S. jail after pleading guilty to interfering with flight attendants. So two Brits uh, just said that this was on a TUI Airways flight from Cancun in Mexico to Manchester, England. Um, Two guys here, both 36 years old. I'm going to withhold their names, even though it's in the article. Both faced a possible jail term of 20 years plus a $250,000 fine, but on Wednesday, the U.S. district judge sentenced the two men to time served following their arrest on January 2nd. Um, These guys, last names Kirby and Murphy, have spent the last two and a half months in prison while on remand, waiting for the conclusion of the case. Both men were also ordered to pay $26,589 each in restitution, an oddly specific amount. Prosecutors alleged that they were already drunk when they boarded their flight in Mexico, but flight attendants allowed them aboard on the condition that they wouldn't be served any more alcohol. Once in the air, however, (laughs) they demanded more alcohol before one of them grabbed a bottle of duty-free gin from their hand luggage. An FBI affidavit described how they then became increasingly loud and disruptive and started to direct racist slurs at an African-American passenger sitting nearby. Flight attendants were also allegedly subjected to abuse and slurs. At one point, the men allegedly shoved the lead flight attendant and picked a fight with another passenger. One of the flight attendants told investigators she was left terrified by their behavior, and another crew member said they feared uh, they were losing control of the entire cabin. The pilots diverted to one of the last available airports before the aircraft reached the Atlantic Ocean, making an unscheduled stop at Bangor International Airport, where law enforcement removed Kirby and Murphy. Um... Tui Airways claims the diversion cost it more than $26,000 in costs and expenses.
4: Well, I hope that some of that restitution money that those two paid went back toward Tui Airways, you know, <laughs> for the cost of the yep. diversion. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, that's one of those things uh, we were talking about, you know, passengers that have been drinking. I think we talked about that on the last show. Um, that. Uh, you can't trust somebody who is already drunk on an airplane to behave themselves. Yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah. It's fine. You can get on the plane. We just won't serve you any more alcohol. Well, that's yeah. okay. Okay.
4: Yeah. Yeah. We'll be fine. Yeah,
1: but- that's right. You you can never really trust someone uh, not to misbehave. They, they can stay uh, on their best behavior for the five minutes. It takes you to uh, slam the doors and then, you know, you can never really trust them. Mm
0: hmm.
5: Can you ever really trust anybody, though, Nick?
1: I uh, certainly not.
4: <laughs> Especially doctors. Okay. Uh, let's continue. And, and, and skydivers. Pilots. And skydivers. Definitely pilots.
0: Marathons Definitely marathons. pilots. And, and engineers.
5: Drivers. Yeah. And do yeah, not trust them. Mechanic. They cheat.
1: Oh. They get on taxis <laughs> instead of running around the course. All
0: sorts of things. <laughs>
4: Oh, uh, let's continue with this uh from kcra.com a uh, thief crashes a helicopter at Sacramento Airport. Helicopter heist goes awry. Thief crashes stolen chopper at uh, Sacramento Executive someone trespassed on the property damaged four helicopters sitting on the apron. Uh the pe- the police said the person eventually got one chopper started and it crashed. <laughs> It's not a very accomplished uh, helicopter pilot, apparently. A thief crashed a chopper. Let's see. Someone, tra- okay. Yeah, we already talked about that. The FBI is now in charge of the incident. Said there is a person of interest. Said that uh, uh, there was a combination of evidence collected, witness information, and surveillance video led them to a person of interest. I guess uh,
5: after they crashed it, they were able to uh, just leave it there and make their escape again. Yeah. Which is how they didn't they have them to be- They left.
4: Yeah. Nothing to see here. Said I hey, uh, this didn't work out well. Maybe I can get out of here and nobody will notice. How many yeah, helicopters oh, were there? Like four helicopters that were destroyed or damaged?
5: No, he attempted to break into four different oh, ones, okay. but finally got one started. Got one
4: started. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, wow. I think he needs a few more hours on Microsoft flights. <laughs>
4: <Yeah>. <laughs> Not realistic enough. Uh Okay. See how that
0: goes. Let's uh, get Nixie to
5: do this next one. All right.
4: Jeff. Uh Nick Camacho, why don't you uh read our next one if you don't mind from aeronews.net?
2: All right. This is uh Texas man pleads guilty to falsifying B35 maintenance records. Ronald P. Franklin, 52 of Perlin, Texas, has pleaded guilty to insinuating false statements into the maintenance log of an aircraft that subsequently suffered an in-flight power loss, and subsequent accident. The U.S. Department of Justice alleges that on or about 9 October 2020, after fraudulently representing himself as an inspection authorization holder, Franklin falsely claimed to have performed an annual inspection on the accident aircraft, yet declared subject airplane airworthy. According to the nebulously vague DOJ statement, the aircraft, a beach craft B-35 Bonanza was involved in the accident of record following the fraudulent 2020 annual inspection. The DOJ report neither identified the aircraft by registration number, nor cited injuries to its occupants. NTSB data comprises records of a B-35 Bonanza gone down three April, 2021 in the vicinity of Perlin. The NTSB set forth the subject accident resulted in no injuries. Franklin, who is currently free on bond, is scheduled for sentencing on 24 May 2023 and faces up to five years imprisonment in a federal institution as well as a maximum fine of $250,000. Franklin's plea was accepted by a U.S. district judge. Uh, The Department of Transportation conducted the interview. uh, And then it goes on here to just talk about the seriousness of aircraft maintenance, which is a very serious matter, uh, obviously. Um, But yeah a uh, interesting story there about a Bonanza maintenance uh, gone awry. And I think one important thing to point out here that's been uh, pointed out a couple of different places is that I don't think um, they have actually attributed the crash to poor maintenance, but, um, they just found out that he didn't have the wow. appropriate certification. I think they may have come up with a conclusion of, I should have looked that up, but I think they may have come up with a conclusion of, you know, like an unknown, um, it was an engine engine failure, in-flight power loss, but I'm not, I don't think they had a, a cause for the power loss, so they couldn't go back and say, this guy did something wrong. I think it was just a matter of, in the course of uh, investigating the accident they found that this guy does not have a uh, inspection authorization. Oh, so he took the money, but he didn't do
4: anything. And they're thinking <laughs> right. that uh, just circumstantially, maybe that uh, if if uh, he had actually done an inspection, it could have caught whatever the issue was with the crash. Right? Yep. Okay. But again, that's just
2: all circumstantial um, mm-hmm. evidence. Hmm. Yeah. And it is, you know, there's there's a ton of different directions it can go. Like this guy could be a very competent bonanza mechanic that just did not have the appropriate uh rating. Uh he could have, you know, could have just literally signed the logbook for a round of drinks. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But um yeah.
4: Or a nice bottle of scotch or something.
2: You know. Yeah, gin yeah. or uh, gin. Yeah, at the end, at the end of the day, it's uh, not a good thing, man. There's enough uh, liability exposure when dealing with uh, general aviation maintenance that uh, I don't know if it's uh, worthwhile to expand that scope into <laughs> illicit activities.
4: Right. Wow. Yeah, as you said, um, maintenance is extremely important in, uh, in this flying machine world, and
0: uh, and having qualified inspectors
5: and
4: having qualified inspectors is very important. Have, have you seen Tim's comment?
2: Mm. Bonanza mechanic was it? That <laughs> uh, was awesome, Little Joe.
4: <laughs> yep. Okay. Very good, Tim. All right. Well, I think now we can uh, go to our Getting to Know Us segment. Here we go. Getting to know all about us. Ugh, can't sing. Like
0: us, getting to hope you like us,
4: too. But Liz can. She's singing in the background. Thank you, Liz. All right, uh, getting to know us. I'll go quickly because uh, not much has happened with me uh, since the uh, last uh, episode. Um, I did fly a, uh, a scheduled flight on um, Sunday. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> My brain is just not working. I don't know. What day is it? I, I really don't know. Uh, it was uh, Sunday night. Uh, Brent and I flew to Gulfport biloxi mississippi kind of late uh nice weather so uh, that worked out well and the airport was actually open when we landed so we didn't have to do you know tower closed procedures and then the next day uh, it was a short layover and the next day we uh deadheaded back to atlanta and uh then i just started feeling kind of not very good and uh so uh, we're scheduled to go back out again um tomorrow night and i don't think that's going to happen for me i'm going to have to let Brent know that he's going to have to fly with somebody else. Um, but uh, I've just been spending most of my time at home in bed, <laughs> just uh, trying and to editing, feel better. And show. editing, yes, of course. Uh, yeah, I've been doing that, but not much else. Eating, drinking, editing, sleeping. That's what I've That's been doing.
0: A, that sounds good.
4: Yeah. And is, uh,
2: yeah. Is tomorrow your last opportunity to fly with
4: Brent? No, we have a trip scheduled on Monday through Wednesday. So okay. uh Yeah.
5: Get in shape
4: for that. Yeah. And it's is a really good trip tomorrow. It's a, it's again, another late night flight to Des Moines, Iowa, uh, or no, wait, not Des Moines, um, Omaha, maybe
3: one no, of those places. Is it, is it Des Moines? Des Moines. Okay. Yeah.
4: And, uh, and then, uh, like all day off on, uh, Friday and then just one mic back on Saturday morning. And I really hate not to be able to fly it, but I don't know if I'm going to be in shape to do it or not. haven't made the decision yet, but we'll see. Anyway, that's, uh, that's me. Uh, not, not much happening. And, uh, let's see, let's go with, uh, Nick Camacho.
2: What's been up? What have you been up to, man? So, uh, missed the show last week, unfortunately, uh, spending some time, um, finishing up the last little, um, issues from the tornado at my folks' house. So hopefully that'll all be behind us here very shortly. Uh, Also has spent a bunch of time uh, working on airplanes the last uh, couple of weeks. So both of our airplanes are in annual, speaking of annual maintenance and inspections and whatnot. Um, Spent this weekend going through the power plant of my uh, debonair and everything uh, checked out good there. It's a engine's, uh, engines, from a fiscal standpoint of airplanes, uh, are just way out of whack. So whenever I get to looking at the engine on my airplane, I always get a there's a little bit of underlying stress there because, you know, if something goes wrong, it could be a, uh, or if something is going in the process of going wrong, it could be an an expensive day. Um, but fortunately, there's we have uh, very thorough inspections and and things that we can look at so uh over the weekend i spent some time uh, pulled all the spark plugs out of my engine cleaned them replaced them that's one thing that's different from cars car spark plugs that cost a couple of dollars so you chuck them in the trash every time you change them Uh, airplane spark plugs uh, are on the order of maybe 30 dollars a spark plug. so the common practice is to clean them and gap them and put them back in until you wear them out and uh, Yep, mine are mine are getting close to the uh, replacement period, but uh, they still passed the uh, test on this go round. So uh, while we had an out, we uh, do a compression check, which is basically checking the um, you know how well the combustion chamber will hold uh, pressure when it's put under pressure to kind of uh, simulate the combustion event, and all of that went fine. Um, did an oil change, cut up my oil filter. No big chunks of metal with part numbers on it in my oil filter. Uh, stuck a boroscope down each cylinder and looked at all the exhaust valves. No, uh, no signs of exhaust imminent exhaust valve failure. So, um, all that went pretty good and got it all buttoned up by the end of the weekend. So, uh, through the next couple of days in this upcoming weekend, my plan is to. Uh, Try to knock out the airframe section, so that's just purely inspection, removing uh, inspection covers, uh, lubricating everything as necessary, and taking a good look at everything, and then uh, going through the landing gear system, which is, um, next to the engine, probably the most onerous uh, system to inspect every year. But that'll be half a day of putting the airplane up on jacks, doing uh, gear swings, and checking various uh, tensions and forces in that system. So I'm hoping uh, by the end of the month here, we have both airplanes back online because the weather is just starting to turn nice here in Kansas. Today's our first 80-degree day of the year. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. That sounds nice. Yep.
1: Nick, uh, there's a question here. Uh, What's the reason for the higher
2: costs? for the sparking plugs uh, for the spark plugs or for everything? I,
1: well, I, don't I actually, guess everything really, isn't it?
2: Yeah. I mean, I assume it's certification traceability. Uh You know, there's really no threshold for putting parts on a car. So if I went out to uh, my garage and I hammered out a, a spark plug out of an old beer can and a, ceramic whatever um i could put that on a car i could sell that to somebody and they could put it on their car right without breaking any laws right but uh when it comes to uh airplane parts with the exception of experimentals um you know it, all airplane parts have to have a pedigree so they either have to be pma they, they have to come from a uh, a source that has uh part manufacturing authorization, which is basically the FAA has gone to that company and reviewed their, um, quality processes and manufacturing processes and blessed them to sell these parts, or it has to come from an OEM or it has to, uh, come from a company that has a supplemental type certificate. Uh, and all of those things, there's, uh, additional costs of, um, paperwork procedures right so instead of uh, you, you got to maintain all these systems you got to have the traceability for the materials you you make it out of so that if something happens you could trace it all the way back to where it was pulled out of the ground right not not actually pull out of the ground but trace it all the way back to its inception um and then the actual uh i mentioned liability earlier there's uh the cost of liability in aviation is very high just because it seems like every time anything happens, uh, a lawsuit occurs and it's, and it's not common for, um, for an incident to happen and, you know, the estate or the family or whoever to sue everyone that was involved, you know, and it's kind of like they throw it against the wall and see what sticks. And, um, and so you'll have, Uh, everyone that had a part on the airplane might be associated with that. Everyone that's touched the airplane in the last few years might be associated with that. Um, So you've got to have protection from that either in the form of insurance, which is not, um, not cheap or, you know, just be willing to take the hit of many thousands of dollars. I've, I've heard of shops that uh, don't carry liability insurance who have basically had, uh, no actual relevance to a an incident, but it just it takes the court system long enough to get them out of the loop that you're still talking tens of thousands of dollars of of legal fees and headache just to convince somebody that a pilot who stalled his airplane on final doesn't have anything to do with the guy that signed off the second to last annual. So I think it's just all of those things um, feed into the higher cost of of all all airplane parts, right? I, I mentioned the engine, you know, a car engine, like a crate car engine, I haven't checked in the last few years since everything has been altered by COVID. But, you know, if you had a uh twenty 000 or thirty thousand dollar car, you might be able to go out and and you had an engine issue, you might be able to go out and buy a crate engine, right? For like three or five thousand dollars. So um it uh it may be, may represent 10% of the cost of the airplane. Uh, a lot of times these airplane engines represent over half of the value of the airplane. So you have, especially, you know, some of the smaller, uh, two seater, four seat airplanes, training airplanes that you might be able to go out and buy for 30 or $35,000. Um, if you have an engine issue with that airplane and you have to send the engine out to get overhauled by a shop, especially a reputable shop, it's not uncommon to be putting a twenty-five to $30,000 engine on a thirty or $40,000 airplane. So it's a weird world.
4: <laughs> so um, Nick, if, if somebody might be interested in your uh, beer can spark plugs, um, we're, we're going to have that information in the show notes, right? They can contact you. Yes. <laughs> yep. Okay.
2: It's actually available on the same website as uh, Dr. Steph's singing album. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: was pretty, yes, that's a great website we need to come up with. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. So I, I kind of had to miss some of that because uh, I've been drinking a lot of fluids today. That's good. <clears throat> that's what the doctors tell me to do. And uh, so I, um, I understand the, your uh, – was that the annual that you were doing to your airplane yep. and, uh, it, it, turned out okay at the end
2: so far, okay. uh, still partway through it, got through the engine portion mm-hmm. and yeah, that was the, that was kind of the trigger for that conversation gotcha. is that, yeah, no, no big uh, gotchas yet. And the, the engine is the first step through that. And you're doing that
4: yourself, right?
2: Me and my dad. Yep. Okay. So my dad will be the IA. Okay. Okay. Um, it's all about So, board. yeah, there will hopefully be no uh, follow thank you, thank you. on Aero News mm-hmm. Network uh, articles well, about.
4: Well, I know that there's a, uh, a Bonanza mechanic over there in uh, Pearland, uh, Texas. Oh, yeah. wait, no. Hang if on. He's, he's in jail right
2: now. Never mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all right. He can sign the certificates from his journey. <laughs> he can. Do,
4: so, yeah. that's no problem. <laughs> yeah. yep. All right. Uh, anything else uh, before we jump over to Captain Nick? I don't think so. Okay. Captain Nick, how have you been, sir, since the last episode?
1: Well, uh, as well as a man can be who had five feet of surgical instrument put inside him. Mm. So uh, I think (laughs) probably... We have a picture of
4: this. It ages ages
1: you terribly. (laughs) You end
4: up having (laughs)
1: one of these procedures...
4: I didn't realize you had Uh, photographers in the the, uh, operating room uh, while this was occurring. Well, it's all
1: about cameras, isn't it? Uh I think that was probably on on the recording at some point. Uh, But um, yeah, it wasn't so much the procedure, which was far from pleasant, but uh, uh, the um, several days before a change of diet and then uh, no food at all and then uh, an emetic to clean out the system, uh, which was just horrendous uh and then uh, i seem to have been left with a rather disturbed digestive system so i'm not very comfortable at the moment anyway Uh by the by that's behind me it will remain behind me in its proper place (laughs) nobody did
5: it all (laughs) on
0: that
4: i think it was intended actually none whatsoever
1: (laughs) Um, so there you go that was that was done. Thank the Lord for that uh looking forward to slightly pleasanter times um I'm giving another talk this time on uh, Sunday the second of April, and I'm driving for nearly five hours up to um Leeds Bradford airport to talk to the uh air Yorkshire aviation society and um they you you are allowed to attend their talks if they say on their website twice before you have to join the society and pay your fee so if anyone does uh live around that way and is interested it's going to be held like i say at the 2nd of april uh not sure of the time yet they haven't told me but uh i suspect well, it'll have to be in the afternoon i suspect or uh, certainly uh early evening um i'll stay in the night and come home the next day uh and uh, it's in the Le- Leeds-Bradford Airport Media Centre, which is on the first floor of the cargo building behind uh, Airedale House. So that little map uh, says you've got to park in the short stay, uh, but it shouldn't cost you more than three quid, because if you attend, they'll give you a some kind of a discount. Um, but uh, then you've got to walk across the media centre to uh, take part. Anyway that uh, is a new talk for me so I'm giving one that is entitled life in a hornet's nest um, so that that'll be that chit chat I haven't finished it yet <laughs> so oh, you got plenty little, of
5: time I usually start yeah, talks that I have to give about 48 up. hours in advance of actually giving the
0: talk
1: there you I'm go sure it's good for me. that's right. that's uh, exactly right and I've got a plan to help produce
4: for the next show um, but you can, uh, if so, you want, uh, you can you can forget about that and concentrate on your talk,
5: <laughs> or just record your talk and give it as the plain tale. Okay.
4: There well, we
1: there you go. It says, I think it might be slightly too long that plain tale. As okay. Since the talk should be at least multi-part, in, uh, I thought
0: cliff notes. Multi-part. There hey, we there go.
1: Um, but I shall be covering ground I've already covered. But uh, anyway, I'll get all that sort of sorted. Don't worry. Um th- that's been it really. Uh nothing much else to say. Um and uh, moving on to uh Steph.
5: Yeah. Are we doing uh getting to know us? I'm sorry I stepped away for Yeah, uh, we are doing uh, getting to expecting. know us. I was expecting.
1: Yeah. Uh, We're all telling them our bank account details.
5: Excellent. <laughs> Mine is uh, if you would like to wire money to me. <laughs> um Getting to know us. All right. Yeah. um, What have I done? When did we do this last? I'm trying to remember. It's been a week exactly. No.
2: Oh, Friday. Friday, It was Friday. It was Friday. Okay. You were wearing Um, funny glasses. That's right. Mm -hmm. It was St.
5: Patrick's Day. Okay. I did not do anything exciting for St. Patrick's Day. There was no going out (laughs) to She was with us. That was exciting. Consuming... Lots of Guinness or anything like that but you were in
4: a play though I don't know if you recall
5: <laughs> <laughs> I do recall I do recall that was some of my some the of my finest acting
4: work you' are awesome
5: <laughs> it was amazing it was
4: awesome <laughs> it was amazing was the saying
5: okay <laughs> it was awesome awesome it' was amazing wow incredible incredible shocking. <laughs> how did you how did you ever manage I don't know uh, <laughs> um uh over the weekend i did not do any flying actually um neither of our aircraft were at our drop zone they were flying at other events so there was a um uh, don't ask me how that works i'm sure it has something to do with revenue and things but bringing in another aircraft to fly at our drop zone where our while ours were out at events um made the most sense so i had the weekend off i did um, Go out with the intention of doing a couple, making a couple of jumps myself, but I got there and discovered that it had rained quite heavily on Friday night. Um, apparently just there because there wasn't a lot of rain at my house, um, so not too far from here. But, man, our, our landing area was like a swamp. Mm. I mean, it was mushy, swampy, gross. I was like, I don't really want to be doing any sort of landings in this area, so I think it will stay on the ground. Um, so I hung out for a little while, um, drove around and picked people up after they went kind of slip sliding in on through the swampy grassy area and um had a really lazy lazy sunday um got to sleep in didn't have to do anything Was has not been particularly warm here but that's coming our way i think nixie has been experiencing the warm weather that's on its way for this weekend so looking forward to that um lots of running so i was wearing my london marathon uh t-shirt from last year i think 2022 and got that coming up in just under five weeks now, so training is in full swing for that. I think I did 19 miles on the treadmill on Sunday night, mm. but it was good. I watched a lot of um, getting myself caught back up on Ted Lasso, Oh, so I can start the new season. been a big fan of that better,
4: show. Better you than me. So 19 miles. That is miles. what I've been up to. Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. Thank you, Steph. hmm And uh, Nick is, uh, I don't know if he can hear us, he's putting his earbuds back in. And, Nick, we were wondering if you might want to uh, tell us about uh, last episode's cover art. Jiggles doesn't care. Jiggles doesn't
1: care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we had that flight attendant who managed to jiggle the handle of a door, and uh, the door power assist fired and opened the door and blew the slide. So we obviously needed a jiggler in uh, (laughs) the artwork. And, of course, Jeff has a favorite um, little um, sound bite, which he often plays. Yes, I'll play it right now. Jingles doesn't care. Okay. (laughs) And uh, we thought that Jiggles doesn't care was a a suitable uh, slight change to that. So, uh, yeah, it was a very good suggestion by whoever on the team did that. It wasn't it me. It was in the chat room. I just found yeah, it. was the from the our
4: wonderful us. live audience slash chat room people, I think. It was Tim Van out Brown, out. maybe. Excellent. Probably I Tim just Van found this,
1: uh, some suitable artwork for Miss Jiggles. And uh, did you notice she's only got one wing on her? I did notice that. Wings? Uh-huh. Uh, so, she's obviously. Uh, uh, cabin attendant, this particular young jiggles.
4: No, that's interesting. At ACME, they don't do that. They they have wings on either side, so they're not. At not... ACME?
1: Well, that is ACME.
4: Well, this well, is a uh, different ACME. I'm afraid this I is proved you wrong there. Ac- uh, yeah, US uh, ACME. Uh, never mind. I don't US know what Acme. I'm saying. <laughs> <Not>
2: international ACME. <laughs> yeah, international ACME. I don't know. Is that, For, is that a real thing, that flight attendants have one wing? Uh, well, again, well, most airlines, not, yeah. at, not at the real ACME. <laughs> huh. I, but, I was not aware of that. But there are a
4: lot of uh, airlines that are like that. You know, they only have like one uh, a wing on one side.
2: Interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: I suppose it follows the military thing of only pilots have two wings, and everyone else
4: in the airplane gets one. Yeah. yeah, and you should be happy with that. Um, <laughs> Apparently, uh, okay. very nice, very nice. Do we? In uh, I think the show uh, number, number was. Uh, pretty clear It was right yeah. right in the speaking right in of the wings, wings. right yeah, yeah. Very
1: nice well that's right yeah i took out the word fly and put in the show number on
4: yeah. the uh me didn't make it too oh, challenging uh, for us logo. which we appreciate yeah, I, I enjoyed yeah. that yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right um i guess now we can oh, go to yeah. our coffee fund mm-hmm. and uh okay here we go
5: how much more coffee? No so
4: thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the ABG community.
3: Coffee and tea, and the Java and me.
4: A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. A cup. Oh yeah! All right, the coffee fund—your way to support the show financially. Many, many ways to support our show, sending in feedback, uh, being with us and when we record this thing live, part of our live audience, several are today. Um, and uh, another way, if you have some extra money in your pocket and you just don't know what to do with it, uh, you can uh, become part of the Coffee Bar Club, the Coffee Fund Cadre, and uh, join all of those great people. A couple different ways to do that. One is the Uh, coffee fund classic method which is just the paypal donation page and that's basically set up for those who want to do uh, just an occasional uh, contribution although you can do recurring contributions as well Uh, several uh, listeners do that we thank you for your uh, contributions the other way to support the show on an ongoing basis uh, is to become a patron of the show via patreon and uh, you just uh, pledge a certain amount per episode, and you can uh, specify, you know, the maximum amount that you want uh, to contribute per month. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. Uh, Liz is putting up the uh, graphic. It's a sad, sad doggy because we we don't have any contributors uh, to the coffee fund since the last. No, I know it was only since Friday. No, no new contributors. That's true. Uh, the, if the, all the patrons out there and recurring co- contributors uh, via both uh, methods uh, are still there to support us we do appreciate you and uh, anyway so if you want to check out uh, how to uh, support us financially set, uh, head over to com slash coffee you'll be glad you did and we will too now time for feedback
0: yeah. Yeah. Right. just yeah. send your yeah.
5: Captain, incoming message.
4: Okay, let's start off with this from Ted. Hi, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Miami Rick, Captain Nick, and all APG guests, past and future. Oh, he forgot about the most important one, Liz. Advance warning rather long message. Uh oh. Reet, reet. Uh, Short time listener here a few months, and I really love your podcast. I'm currently on episode 240. Ooh. Uh, and listening to your podcast is my drive to reach the end of every day. I'm listening to your podcast in chronological order, so every evening I time travel back to 2016. Not that I remember it. I was only seven. Oh, my oh gosh. gosh.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, jeez.
4: So what does that make him now? Fourteen?
0: 14.
4: Okay. Um, something like that. This means I will probably be hearing this sometime in early 2024. So hello, future me. <laughs> Okay. I have a few questions for the crew. Mainly, uh, Number one, mainly for Captain Nick, have you ever heard of the Eastbourne Airborne show? It's a fabulous air show in Eastbourne. Crazy, I know, with the red arrows making uh, an appearance most years. Have you, Captain Nick? I haven't
5: heard of the air show, but um, the last time I was in the UK, my friend who has the same last name wanted to go and visit that town, but... She went the day before I got there so I did not get to see it but she said it was lovely.
1: I have heard of the show um and in fact those seaside style air shows are very popular because uh, the current uh, restrictions that affect a lot of uh, airfields that are close to build up areas uh, following the Shoreham disaster means that uh, some of the air shows are quite tame nowadays. But of course, over the water, those re- restrictions don't exist, and they're often very popular. Um, apart from the fact that um, you know, you can usually see a great deal of the show for nothing just by standing on the coast. Um, they they uh, they do have usually have an area where you buy a ticket and, uh, and you get lots more facilities and perhaps. Uh, grandstands that kind of stuff but uh they are very good indeed uh, but no i've never been to the eastbourne one i'm afraid and uh, as for the dead sparrows yeah i used to be at the base where they trained and did a lot of their uh, um show authorizations that sort of thing uh, so i've seen the dead sparrows many many times but uh, it's
4: always nice to watch them do that is that a term of endearment that you're using there
1: the dead sparrows. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We always love them. They're fine. Yeah, there's no ego attached to all those pilots at <laughs> all.
4: <laughs> I wouldn't think so.
1: I'm, I'm being deadly serious. So they're all they're completely unaffected by their fame and the adulation that the general public spray upon them
4: spray. like muck spreaders. Just like the thunderbirds.
0: Like muck spreaders.
4: Yeah, um, I'm sure. Absolutely. And uh, let's... Um, Uh, for dr staff uh asking for my mother who i play the podcast to on occasion what is a commercial pilot as of 2016 you're a commercial pilot so you would be the natural person to ask
5: so i'm still a commercial pilot um so at least in the united states the way that works if you're going to Said about learning how to fly and be a pilot. Um, you earn your private pilot certificate first. Um, that does not allow you to do any sort of flying for directly for compensation. So if you want to have a job where you um, can be compensated to fly, um, you need to continue past that point. Next stop, frequently being the commercial pilot certificate. Um, that does not, however, allow me to fly, uh, the type of airline flying that Captain Jeff and that previously Captain Nick did. You need a airline transport pilot certificate for that. Now, yes. I mean, it's been a number of years since that was yeah, the case. So that's true. I think we can safely just move on from that, but, right, right. um, you know, in, in limited in, or in, in certain instances. So the kind of flying I do where I fly skydivers now, I don't think I was doing that. I was not doing that in 2016. So that's a change. Um, a lot of like banner towing, sightseeing stuff, um, aerial photography, uh, pipeline uh, patrol,
4: television commercials. Oh.
5: Television, hmm?
4: right? And that don't you have to be a commercial pilot to do the yes, yes, commercials for television commercials?
5: commercials yes. <laughs> pilot to be a commercial.
4: <laughs> oh, never mind. I think I, I'm confused. Sorry.
5: Yeah, it's the it's the sinus medications. It sure. must, must be. <laughs> <laughs> fog. So, so that's all that means. It's additional, um, some additional training, um, training to, I guess, theoretically, you know, more hours, more, um, um, just more, more time under your belt and, um, different standards that you're trained to in terms of, um, controlling the aircraft. The idea being that you want to uh, fly smoothly for the passengers that you might be carrying so there's an added emphasis on that as well okay, okay Nick i have a quick it. question yep.
2: before so you mentioned that now after the Colgan incident everyone has to have an atp before that was the case what was the delineator was it commercial strategic. part 121 only required part 121 captain only Cast, yeah PIC. Yes, pilot
4: PA, pilot in command
2: uh, so, is it, a, is it a number of passengers thing? Or is it just a part 121 thing? I think part, point, it was just it was, part
5: 121 PIC. You were okay. required to have an ATP.
4: Yeah. Okay.
5: And you could be SIC with a commercial certificate. Yep. 250 and hours.
4: As I was until mm-hmm. I upgraded to captain.
5: But yeah, but not with 250 hours.
4: Yep.
1: Go on. You must be able to throw a few more acronyms in there, guys
4: uh, PIC, SIC, ATP, ILS, VOR. <laughs> M O U S E.
2: Insert Roger <laughs> Victor's song here.
4: <laughs> I was just going
5: to list a bunch of medical ones, but, yeah. but that would really do real no, things, that, so that I'll stop. Thank
0: you. <laughs> uh, pilot in
5: command, second in command, PIC, SIC, um, ATP, airline transport pilot.
4: And mouse is M O U S E. What's that, Liz?
5: Aren't you feeling a little S-I-C today?
4: Yeah, I am. I am feeling a little S-I-C-K today. Um, let's see. Uh, this is for Miami Rick, but he's not here. We're going to answer for him. I've noticed in pictures that there are windows on the first floor in front of the cockpit. I think he's talking about the 747. Uh, have you ever been down there? And how much more dangerous is it to sit there? Also, our type uh, what type of seats are they, economy, business, et cetera. And uh, so he's talking about the commercial uh, passenger version of the 747 and that big part of the nose that extends forward of the cockpit area. And, I've uh, sat
1: down there quite a few times, actually.
4: Have you? And I guess that's yeah. the, usually the upper class. Is that what uh, Virgin called it?
1: Well, on our, on our fleet, yeah, we used to have uh, um, upper class seats down there because uh, it was a nice quiet area um, so and there was a lot of room because as as the nose narrows they obviously reduce the number of seats in in rows and things but uh, um, yeah uh, and there's a flat bulkhead at the front beyond which there's the radar I'm pretty sure and that's about it that's you know you're basically at the front of the airplane those first last win, few windows I've a feeling a couple of them are blanked off but um, certainly you can get ones where you can get a bit of a forward view as well.
5: Mm-hmm. And, and it I don't is know not if dangerous to...
1: in case of bird strikes, but whatever.
5: Yeah. To yep. my knowledge, not any more dangerous to sit there than anywhere else on an
2: aircraft.
4: Although you will be at the scene of the accident before anybody else. Yes.
2: Absolutely. Or the bird strike yep. potentially.
4: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or the bird strike. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, I think there were some studies <laughs> done, right. That said sitting right over the wings is the safest place, but it's, it's like, uh,
5: it, it depends it on whatever the incident is. Unless
2: you the know. fuel yeah, tanks blow up. It's a <laughs> yeah. small, yeah. It's it's small
5: <laughs> I um, mean,
2: advantage yeah. that it's not really It's
1: one of the most comfortable areas because, mm-hmm. I mean, particularly on the A340, such a long airplane. But the fuselage, uh, they only call it quasi-rigid because it flaps up and down. The fuselage bends. And uh, right at the front, right at the back, it bends quite a lot. You actually physically get moved up and down. Whereas when you're in the center of gravity, which is around the base, you know, the the wing roots, um, the movement is much less. It's much smoother flight back there.
4: There's a pro tip for you right there. Um, Let's see. Finally, for Captain Jeff, what's your favorite? Airport? Oh, I was
1: going to mention no. someone in there. Sorry, uh, Jeff. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the rate sitting directly behind the radar. Uh, although the, most of the radiation goes forwards, there is a sizable uh, beam that goes directly behind the radar. So just bear in mind that when you're sitting just behind the radar, you uh, you might get a free vasectomy. That's the second time I've mentioned vasectomy mm. yeah, yeah. in yeah. one show. <laughs> Maybe a show. <laughs> it, time was there some or sort or
5: of it? bet going on where you had to get that word in <laughs> yeah. like multiple times? Vasectomy. Yeah.
1: There we go. Maybe they
5: did something else to Nick <laughs> when he was
0: under.
1: <laughs> well, it's certainly not a drinking game. It's not coming up very often.
4: <laughs> um, I'll have you know that I've been sitting behind radomes uh, quite uh, quite a number of years, and uh, it's been twenty six years since I've had a child.
1: Well, there you go. Uh, well, it obviously works. It also yeah. destroys brain cells.
4: That's clear. <laughs> I'm have. i clear. I can't even. I don't know what I'm going to say. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even make okay. the words come out in right order. Uh, I haul boxes as comfortable metal roller bearings for sitting and a few cargo straps for your safety is what we have to offer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and <laughs> yeah. your version of that yeah. airplane. Yes. Uh, that's uh not very comfortable. And so, in, it would be particularly Miami
5: Rick's version as well.
4: Yeah, it would be very dangerous uh, when the uh, when the uh, ULD or whatever that thing is called uh, rolls over you uh, if you're sitting <laughs> up there. Yep. yep. Neil has a good comment. Can you get a vasectomy for from VAS Aviation? Ooh. <laughs> Did you? Bam! That's a good one.
1: You might get a discount. You never
6: know. <laughs>
4: Okay, and uh, finally, for Captain Jeff, what's your favorite airport for wait times, actual airport building areas, landing at, and plane spotting? If you if you enjoy that, okay, favorite airport uh, for wait, you know the airport that I've been operating in and out of for my entire career, uh, Atlanta International, uh, for more than thirty four years now, is uh, is is it's a great design for. Um, as far as wait times are concerned, uh, the ease of access, no matter what part of the, what runways you land on or you're going to take off on, um, it's just a great setup the way they've um, made all the uh, concourses parallel and easily acceptable or accessible from either side. is uh, It's just kind of a brilliant design, actually. Um, actual airport building areas, I don't know, I mean, if, if you want to get all... You know, like I I do like some of the classics, like Dulles, uh, Washington Dulles International. It's beautiful. uh, LAX. uh, Yeah, I don't know. They that's kind of a mix, mash. Yeah, that uh, the the, I forgot what they call it now. The uh, where the restaurant is on the on the on the on the stilts. I don't know what they call that thing. I'm sure there's a name for it. Maybe somebody in the uh, live audience can can come up with uh, uh, help me out with that. but a lot of great airports out there for like terminals and concourses and that kind of thing. I don't really, you know, think much of that one way or the other, actually, uh, plane spotting. Uh, that's just something I would have done when I was your age, but, uh, it's uh, because I live my life, uh, flying airplanes in and out of, uh, airports. It's not something that I do much anymore. Uh, so I don't really have a good, uh, a good, um, but I think maybe, uh, some of the other hosts might be able to come up with some good airports for plane spotting.
0: Um,
1: it's actually called the Theme Building, oh, the theme it, which building. is a bit odd because, yeah, the theme, T H E M E, theme building. Um, it was uh, an architectural example of the space age design uh, introduced by Populux Architecture, mid century modern. Uh, flying saucer on four legs. Uh, what else can we say about it? That's, it really. That's
5: how I describe it normally. The flying saucer on four legs. That's what it looks like. There you go. Yeah. The theme. Well, speaking it of planes...
1: a tuned mass damper.
5: Oh, that sounds. Which
1: I thought was quite technical. Clever. Yeah. Hmm. Not quite sure what a tuned mass damper is.
5: <laughs> no idea. But speaking of LAX and speaking of plane spotting, that's a good place for plane spotting, especially at the oh, In n Out Burger. That's true. I do enjoy that. Usually the weather is fairly nice. You can enjoy your uh, your all the delights of In and Out Burger. Yes, your animal mm-hmm. style burger and fries and milkshake, and sit on the grass and watch airplanes. You know, basically short, short final, right overhead. Um, Charlotte. Uh, is in the process of uh, doing some construction. I was browsing.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, excuse me. We have a show going on here, man. Quit talking. Yeah. I obviously hit the wrong uh, tab. There we go. go. I I found the uh, the theme building. uh, I think that's very cool. Los Angeles is a very cool building for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it has a rotating uh, section, which is that glazed section. That's where the restaurant is. And um, John Travolta famously held, uh, the, uh, hired the whole place, held a birthday party there.
4: Did he? Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Just a sort of John Travolta sort
4: of thing. There you go. Yeah. L- Liz is saying same. we should have a, an APG meetup there sometime.
1: Oh, no, that would be cool. That would be very.
4: That are you sure that, course, that actually that, that actually rotates? I, I didn't realize I it, that. I think it was designed yeah. to, I'm not sure it it still does. is. I had no okay. idea. Wow. That's mm-hmm. very cool. All right.
5: Usually because I'm just on my way to In and Out Burger and back to the terminal on my layovers. Yeah. That's the extent of my mm. LAX. Um there are a couple other good points. Um Main Man Micah says you can do aircraft or uh, airplane spotting from Dulles, uh, from the Hoover Udvar hazy Center. Oh, yeah? I can't I can't talk tonight either. Um, the only other place I've really done any is here in Charlotte, but everything's a little bit under construction at the moment. So hopefully some of that will be coming back online, um, not in the too distant future. And also maybe when they reopen our Carolina's Aviation Museum, mm. um, you probably need to pay for access to that, but I think it will have good views of one of the runways. And um, I was thinking about JFK as well at the TWA hotel. You can, oh, yeah. If you're staying at the hotel and you go up to the pool area, it's not a terrible place to sit with a drink and feet in the water and watch some aircraft. Good,
1: good I've point. I've worked out what are the mesh dampers for.
5: So that it doesn't take off in a hurricane?
1: No, well, so it doesn't take off in an earthquake. Ah, ah.
5: Yes, that would be a better natural disaster for California than a hurricane.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that long ago that it was um, all renewed, it, you know, refurbished. Because
4: uh, mm-hmm. hmm. uh, in
1: 2013, they sort of half closed it because it was – Yeah, kind of –
4: It was dilapidated for sure. It was like not v- well cared for at all. It was sad.
1: Exactly actually. right. So it uh, cost them $14.5 million to uh, redo it.
4: Hmm.
5: Wow.
1: There you go. Very iconic structure.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Ted uh, finishes. Thank you so much for an absolutely amazing podcast. Best of luck in tailwinds and headwinds at appropriate times of flight. Uh, Again, Ted Ted in the UK. Thank you for for uh, sending in feedback and good luck uh, catching up with uh, our present uh, show, which is uh, 562 that we're on right here at the moment. Um. And let's see. Let's continue with some feedback from. Eric, hi, APG crew. I always appreciate the discussions about aircraft accidents and incidents. When I started Air Force pilot training way back in 2004, they handed us the Road to Wings book, which was full of pilot training accidents so that we could learn what was most likely to kill us in the mighty T-37 and T-38. Never easy, but necessary to ensure we don't make the same mistakes. On the Bonanza incident, um, I guess we're talking about the... um, the one up in This was uh, the one White in New planes. York. Yeah. Yep. Uh, MT uh, Mike Tango 19, I think it was, or 1-9 Mike Tango, I think was the, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
4: something like that. Uh, and the discussion of bringing the propeller to max pitch. The issue is that the loss of oil pressure would have made the propeller counterweights drive it to fine minimum pitch. Generally, GA constant speed propellers are set to default to fine pitch so that horsepower is available for go-around, take-off, or climb while aerobatic propellers are set up so that the counterweights drive them to course maximum pitch so that the engine isn't oversped with high throttle settings during aerobatics. It won't hurt anything to pull the prop back in an engine loss scenario, but if you don't have oil pressure, it's not going to do anything. Blue skies and tailwinds. Eric Spam Bromley, uh, B2 Spirit number 472. This is a uh, B2 pilot. That's pretty cool. Stealth, yeah, stealth bomber. Nice.
1: Wow. I used to have the uh, Stealth Bomber um, Breitling watch. In fact, I still do. Lovely watch.
4: That's why we can't see it. Designed
1: by B2 pilots to work Mm -hmm. in their uh, NVG cockpit.
4: Thank you, Liz. Liz laughs at my jokes. I said that. You said (laughs) you had the the, uh, Breitling uh, Stealth watch, and I said that's why we can't see it. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, But... Rick's brightly on the other hand he can't miss that, Can uh, that very true space ain't, ain't nothing stealth about that um, no. so uh, what what do you have to say uh, Nick Camacho about uh, Eric's uh, point about uh,
2: yeah I think that's a good point uh, we've touched on it a couple of times right the uh, how the propellers work um, like he said they're set up they're either counter rated or spring loaded and set up to um, bias one direction and then use oil pressure to go the opposite direction. Uh, aerobatic propellers and twins are often kind of set up to fail into, um, into a coarse pitch so that they're more feathered, less, less drag, because that's the, you know, in a twin engine airplane, if you have a, power failure and you still got a good engine you'd you'd rather have the engine fail to a lower drag setting than a higher drag setting um, ga airplanes if you want if if you're starting to lose control of a propeller and you only have one engine you want to be making maximum power and so the engines make maximum power at high speeds um, it, you know it is it is important to note I think that uh, in most engine failures, I say most uh, just because the engine stops reducing power does not mean that the propeller will necessarily stop spinning. And if the propeller's spinning, a lot of times you'll still have oil pressure because the oil pump is still turning also. Um, and I mentioned last time we talked about this, I mentioned Tom Turner and we discussed a little bit of the uh, pulling the prop back for performance in a bonanza. Uh, so Tom Turner, the same guy also recently did a um, webinar on, Uh, engine out stats and and tom turner is a well-known bonanza instructor i think his title he works for the american bonanza society i think his title is director of uh air safety foundation which is kind of their nonprofit and education arm but he also has a uh he also has a a personal website which is mastery-flight-training.com he does a bunch of uh deep dives into um, GA accidents and GA statistics and stuff like that. And uh, he did this webinar on Bonanza engine failures. And he looked at all of the NTSB reports from 2011 to 2020 um, involving engine power loss. And I won't go through them all. So I, I watched it a month or, it came out a month or two ago. And uh, when this came up, it just kind of triggered me to, to think about it again. And so I went back and watched it. And I've got two and a half pages of notes here, but I'm not going to read all of them. But um,
5: The rest of the show will be devoted to (laughs) Bonanza engine failures.
2: Right, right. Uh, You know, but it is interesting um, to look through them. And I highly recommend if you're like intrigued by uh, general aviation or uh, accident investigation, it's a cool webinar because he he, like goes uh, very in-depth into the stats. And uh, there are 153... Uh, final or probable cause reports for Bonanzas in, regarding engine power loss. Um, six of them were prelims, so he didn't include those. Of the 153, 18% were catastrophic engine failures. 13 or uh, 22% were other mechanical causes. So that was attributed to things like fuel pump failure, alternator seizure. 23% were unknown causes, and 37% were fuel mismanagement. So, you know, and then he goes into like each subset and, and basically what I try to do was take all of those and make an estimation at um, whether or not I thought the engine would be damaged enough to lose oil pressure. So that would either be like an internal failure that caused an engine seizure or uh, some other form of oil system failure that caused loss of oil quantity. So you didn't have oil to generate the oil pressure mm-hmm. and, uh, I tried to be uh very conservative like if i thought there is any chance of it causing loss of prop control basically i i included it in that tally and what i came up with in my very unscientific um poll here was that of those 153 that he looked at uh 75 of them had the possibility of um loss of oil pressure right so that'd be like a crankcase failure if you had a crankcase failure and you puked all the oil out if you had a Oil line failure, something like that. You know, obviously, high probability that you're going to lose control of the engine. 78 of them were non loss of oil pressure incidents. And so a lot of those were the fuel management. So 38 reports of fuel starvation. So people killing the engine with uh, fuel on board the airplane still. And then obviously fuel exhaustion. There was uh, lots of stuff like, um, Uh, you know, fuel line issues, there were uh, valve issues. So, uh, and the only reason I bring that up in reference to this um, article is, I I think a lot of people automatically assume if you have an engine failure, you lose oil pressure. And um, it's totally plausible that you do, but I think there's a, basically like a 50-50 chance that you you would or you wouldn't. Um, And obviously there's lots of things that are gonna affect like I don't know what speed, what propeller speed you need to maintain to maintain the oil pump operation to provide enough oil pressure. Uh, you know, different propeller inertias are going to windmill at different speeds. Different um, compression ratio engines are going to windmill at different speeds. So uh, there's lots of little variables that go into it. Um, I do know, uh, our Luscombe, Luscom, which is a hand prop only airplane. When I was learning to fly it, one of the things that my instructor did was took me up over the airport and we shut the engine off. Um, and I think it was kind of a, you know, it was, it was a learning experience, but it was also one of those things that kind of makes you feel a little more comfortable in the airplane. Cause a lot of people get in an airplane and think, Oh, you don't have a starter. What happens if the engine shuts down in flight? And, uh, in that airplane, it took us, uh, We had to stall the airplane. So in straight and level flight, the propeller would not stop. We had to stall the airplane three times to get the propeller to stop and then nose over to about 110 or 120 miles an hour. And it immediately started spinning again. So, you know, it's a it's an air screw and it wants to spin. So uh, but with all that said, I I think Eric's totally right. Right. Like there's a reasonable possibility that it won't have any impact to the outcome. So that's a good point.
4: Very good. We'll have a link to that, um, mastery. What was it called? Mastery? uh, Yeah. Mastery flight training. training. And
2: there's, and there's a link there. Yeah. We'll have Mm -hmm. a link to his website and then a link to the actual webinar. Okay. uh, If you want to watch. Is
4: it the same guy that does those, um, uh, things for, uh, AOPA or, um, -mm. okay.
2: Are you thinking of, I think you're thinking of Richard McSpadden, like the, the, uh, immediate analysis yeah like a couple yeah. of days Nope.
4: okay a different guy. that's no. that's a really good
2: uh yeah he's pretty good he's too. really
4: good okay very good well thanks eric thank you uh nick for uh uh kind of clearing that up a little bit uh regarding
2: filling rick's shoes for one episode
4: yeah i was gonna say i was, I was just i was very hesitant but i thought I was, I was getting so close to playing the old crickets there um i thought you'd appreciate that Nickets in this case. Nickets. Yeah. In your case. Yeah. Very good. Um, <laughs> moving on with the next item uh, from David and he says, hi y'all. Does this mean that Jeff's new RV is just about ready? And so what is he talking about? Let's, uh, he gives us a link to a uh, video here. Uh, let me add that to the screen. Okay. So here's a something that looks like a nose of a fuselage. But it also sounds it's
1: like... It's got those little eyebrow windows.
4: Yeah. It does. Kind of almost looks like a... 727? or doesn't look
5: very maneuverable. Doesn't, doesn't have a
4: great turning west.
2: radius, no, I was it's... just going to say, the nose tip is so far in front of those front wheels. <laughs> I think it's got to be a nightmare.
4: Well, that's what he's <laughs> like right now. He's going, well, I'm not sure I have clearance here with the nose. And I think somebody's got to go oh, over there. Oh, he's got it. He's got it. And then, you got
1: clearance, Clarence?
4: Okay. Uh, okay, I think I got big it. big RV. Ooh. Look at that thing. So it's, it's like an airplane RV, basically. Um, that's
1: brilliant.
4: Yeah, love it. So does that mean? Uh, no, it doesn't mean that. <laughs> that's Mine, not the RV that you ordered. No, that's not it. Uh, although that's I don't know, sweet, maybe bro. I should go with that one since <laughs> I just learned that mine's going to be another. Uh, I don't know how long. Uh, maybe I'm. I'll be lucky if I get it by the end of this year and for my retirement. Um, but we'll see Damn how that Canadians. goes. Yeah, those Canadians, lazy Canadians. Obviously, they're oh, sitting around yeah. not working.
1: That's
4: so sad. That's right. <laughs> Uh, Anyway. Okay. Um, So uh, thank you very much, uh, David, for sending in that video. Very cute. Um, Let's see. Gustav, he also sent us some uh, video feedback. He says, good day. I found a great reel on Instagram that I shared there as as a message for you as some feedback for the next show as i of course i don't know when he sent this in probably a while some time ago, ago. as uh, i know you weren't too active there i thought i uh, better alert you this way too yeah thank you because yeah i'm not i never go to no, instagram not, really. not at all um so uh and this is uh, from gustav in sweden and let me uh, play this uh little piece of uh, video i think you'll appreciate it here we go. oh you got the
0: light. you got the light,
4: you got the light. You got the light. <laughs> what up oh did did you hear the uh the 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 fishing uh reel uh in the line okay let's so again i'm going to hit i'm going to hit play here in a second and you're going to see this uh looks like a was a 182 rg or what kind of airplane was that um can't tell
2: oh you got the light. you got the light
4: yeah, it's like a 210. 210. Okay. What up? Apparently, <laughs> really
5: gonna... didn't think too much of him.
4: <laughs> yeah, he wasn't very happy with that. Let's see it again.
0: Oh, he got the light. He got the light.
4: Yeah, yeah he was like light. only about uh, what, what up? 20, 25 feet above the uh, surface of the water there. Pretty low. Yeah.
1: And that whining noise was the real. Uh, yeah, yep. going um, out, all it? the...
4: Yep. Taking all the line, exactly which is
1: probably is. expensive stuff, actually.
4: Probably very much so, yeah. All right, thanks, Gustav. I'm not sure what the message is wow. for us, but uh, I will not be flying airplanes that low near people that are fishing, just in case you're worried about that. <laughs> um, all right, uh, continuing on with some feedback from Texas and Lashock Haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, he says, Greetings, Captain Jeff, APG crew. Do you like Jurassic Park? Do you like the state of Hawaii? If the answer uh, to both questions is yes, well, it just so happens that Hawaii is where so many of the outdoor scenes in the movie were filmed, which is why they look so lush and green. So if any of you find yourself in the island paradise and have some extra money to throw around, you might want to check out some of these places. I found a video not long ago that travels to these locations, at least as many as they can get access to, to see where the magic happened. One part of them is the helicopter ride that's right. You can actually recreate the epic journey to the island yourself. The rest of it is worth checking out as well. The guy doing this went all out, running a Jeep and putting Jurassic Park decals on it and getting into the appropriate costume as a park ranger and then does simultaneous comparisons of the scenes from the movie with him there 30 years later. I realized as I was writing that it actually will be 30 years this year. Uh, thanks all for now. Clear skies and dinosaur-free landings to you. This is the well, Texas... This it's a bit hard when you're
1: Center. flying a dinosaur, isn't it?
4: Ah, uh, good point. <laughs> uh, I guess that was meant for me and uh, perhaps Ka- <laughs> Miami Rick. Uh, let's see. So I'm going to play just a little bit of this because I'm sure we're going to get a copyright strike. So let's see uh, what we got here. Uh, Nikki Guard presents... Jurassic Park Movie Locations. It's so quite a long video.
2: So. Jurassic Park is without a doubt one of the best movies ever made. The movie came out in 1993 and left a huge impact on me. Welcome to Jurassic Park. It's an exciting science fiction action movie with stunning special effects and groundbreaking CGI by Industrial Light and Magic and VFX. Okay, Although that. it still takes me after the scene with bit. the highway 14 you need to turn right about 1.4
4: kilometers from the Abbott Drive intersection. From there, you will need to follow the gravel road on the right for about 1.2 kilometers. It's a very bumpy and uneven road, so it would be best to drive in a 4x4. We didn't have one, and actually got stuck on a slope. But after the 1.2 kilometer drive, you just need to walk about 100 meters to get to the exact location. That doesn't look like Hawaii at all. No, it it doesn't. Looks like like California, like Death Valley or something. Mm -hmm. Um... I'm going to turn the volume down here and uh, let's yeah. see, just poke around a little bit more. Um, looks like a great uh, video if you want to kind of check out some of these mm-hmm. uh, places where they uh, filmed a lot of Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful scenery.
5: If you're a movie buff and you have some time planned in Hawaii.
4: Yep. Sure. Nice. All right. Oh, well, yeah.
1: I bet that helicopter trip would be fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. Except I think
4: helicopters are very dangerous. scary wouldn't be caught dead in one of those things right i was going to say <laughs> as, long as it's not
2: that guy from sacramento flying the helicopter will <laughs> so, uh, uh, be fine <laughs> oh boy
4: all right um i'm going to remove that and Jeff, uh,
5: just before you move on a mm-hmm. couple of great comments about the guy cutting the fishing line here
4: okay we this have some is- good go- comments about the guy that was cutting the fishing line uh, on that previous uh, feedback i uh, haul boxes is that's what they call fly fishing Ah, they are flying uh-huh. and fishing. Okay. He was really low. <laughs> R-E-E-L-Y. Low. Nailed it. Hook, line, and sinker. Okay. That's uh-huh. enough. From the, <laughs> from the peanut gallery.
0: Possible show co-
4: titles. Oh, yeah. Possible show titles. Let's uh, consider those. Um. All right. Let's continue over to... There's the two-hour mark I'm getting from the control room. Um number eight uh Todd, a thank you to the seven seventeen Tango November Todd here I'm one of the people who was pointed over to your podcast from the mythical podcast originating from the mythical triad. Uh, I wanted to say a thank you to the jet you fly a few years ago, uh, my wife and I took a flight from Minneapolis to Charlotte, North Carolina to visit a sick friend. Our flight happened to be on the 717. I'd been on many flights as a child, and I remember many 737, 757, 767, and even one ride on the Queen of the Skies, but I'd never heard of a 717. Uh, Well, there's a reason for that. When we got home, I went down the internet rabbit hole looking up the history of the 717 that led me down other aviation rabbit holes, and eventually I came across a flight school in town offering discovery flights. I decided to take a flight for my birthday, and I was hooked. Over that summer, I finished my private pilot ticket. Me getting my license inspired my dad to get back in the air after being inactive for 38 years. Wow. Uh, next time you sit down in your McBoeing Douglas, give it a thanks from me and my dad for providing the spark to get in the air. Todd Newman. Wow. We're, we're uh, happy to oblige. I'll make sure I, I give that... Uh, that message to the uh, 717 next time I have a trip, Todd. And uh, thanks for sharing that with us.
5: Oh, that's really cool. Glad your dad got back into it too.
4: Yeah. Very cool. All right. Uh, Jez. Hi, APG crew. Uh, I've not sent you any feedback for a while. Maybe I'm fighting off APG syndrome. If so, I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's a gift as well as a curse. Yes. So many things are uh, in my life are like that. I have a bit of an obscure question. Often when I'm letting the dog out in the evening to do her doggedly duties, I look up and see the aircraft making their descent towards Heathrow, made very visible by their navigation lights, uh, solid in strobes against the night sky. I'm guessing that external lights are on the uh, minimum equipment list, the MEL, but I wondered what is permissible to fly without and how often they actually fail in flight and how would you know if they did are there for example two bulbs for each light and they are changed at different frequencies so it's unlikely they'd both fail at the same time i'm also guessing that the retrofit led lights have a higher mean time between failures, so it's less of an issue these days it also helps with going green but also wonder oh i should probably uh play that right we're going green uh, it's been a while since we played that. I haven't
1: one. had that in a while.
4: Yeah.
5: Someone pointed out, how do we miss playing that on St. Yeah. Patrick's Day?
4: Oh, yeah. that's... Ugh, no. Fail. I don't know. Yeah, a big Bleh. fail.
0: Absolute that fail. Failure.
4: I guess we're going to have yeah. to do it all over again. Yeah. Um,
5: <laughs> only if I can do more acting.
4: Oh, yeah. We'll have to do that, too.
0: Okay. Oh, my God.
4: Uh, but, <laughs> but also wonder if there are things like laser landing lights in the pipeline. And some cars have these now. It can only be a matter of time before the technology is scaled up. And Professor Miami Rick, the stage is yours. Blue side up, Jazz. Well, I'm sorry, Jazz. Uh, Miami Rick is not here. So we're going to have to try to, the four of us will have to try to, you know, make up one Miami Rick uh, oh, and uh, answer wow. this question. Now, I can help out to start off um, uh, based on my limited knowledge of all this. Um, the position lights on the wing tips and you are correct they are um covered by the minimum equipment list and lights such as position lighting is not that um and and even landing lights aren't that important if you're flying between sunrise and sunset it's only if you're flying operating part of the flight or all of it uh between the hours of sunset and sunrise that you might have a problem uh and there and i guess it's going to depend on the individual airplane and minimum equipment list and all that. But uh, every airplane that I've flown, if the, uh, well, let me start off by saying the position lights on the airplane that I fly now. And I think all the airplanes that I've flown, uh, there are two bulbs, you know, you have the the green, uh, on the, uh, on the right side and the red on the left side. I got that right. Didn't I? Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
4: and there are two bulbs on each of those. And uh, there's a primary bulb, which I believe on my airplane is the one that's uh, the furthest forward, and then the secondary bulb. So there are two lights, and only one light is operating at, at one time. If one of the lights burns out, then the other one automatically takes over for it. Um, and uh, the are same.
2: You, are you missing a? Are you missing a light, Jeff?
4: Am I missing a light? Probably. Uh, I've been told
2: your, your airplanes have a white light on the tail, also, don't they?
4: Uh, well, I was, I was getting that. I was oh, okay um on the airplane that I fly. It's not on the tail. It's on the, um, it's on the wing tip. Um, the white That's lights. Why
1: people keep running into you when yeah, they're taxing around. Well, you know, it's not, a, <laughs>
4: it's not a really super long airplane, so it's not usually a problem. Um, but, uh, the, the white, uh, light is on right just after the uh, position lights. Um, and, uh, the, uh, yeah, that you are fired again to have uh, I, I forgot exactly what the, the deal is with that. I think if you, you can have one operating and one not operating and still be legal to fly at night. Do you have but any sensors I'm to not, tell
0: you when they burn out? Or
5: uh,
4: are, is there a sensor to show when they're burnt out? Yeah, you have a um, an idiot light that comes on your uh, instrument panel that says lights burnt out. No, we don't have <laughs> a light that there's not, nothing that shows us okay. uh, when the lights the, burn the out. The
1: sensor is the uh, engineer does the pre-flight checks.
4: Yeah, or he in, actually
1: puts them on and walks
0: around.
4: Or he actually, uh, or, you know. That or the pilot doing the, our external walk yeah. around.
0: Mm-hmm. And we That's look true. at that. Yeah.
4: And so we can, when we go out there and we see that the, the leading edge or the leading light on one of the wingtips is out and the second one is on, then we kind of make a note of it in the uh, logbook that it's on the second bulb and uh, that they need to change them out soon. Uh, but it doesn't prevent us from operating unless both of them are out. And then again, as long as we're flying during the daylight hours, it's okay. Um, It's a little, like, geo
5: aircraft typically just have one bulb um, for those. So, yeah, part of your pre-flight check. And there's no way to know it goes out unless it's either not on when you depart or no longer on when you arrive.
4: Right. And then you discover when you arrive, oh, okay, it's out. I have no landing light. Awesome. Or, you know, no position light or whatever, but then you're, you know, you've already operated the flight. So you're, it's not like you're doing anything wrong. It's just that when you notice that. Now that they are not operating, here, no longer allowed allowed to fly during sure. those hours. Uh, so, well, go ahead, Nick.
2: I was going to say, going back to the white light for a minute. Yeah, that's is that on the wing tip?
4: Yeah, well, stupid place to stick it. <laughs> it's it's on the leading uh, the trailing edge of the wing, like the aft the trailing edge of the of the I'm wing not tips. kidding.
1: The number of times I've nearly driven into a a Boeing because there are a few marks that have the white lights on their wingtips and uh all of a sudden your taxi light illuminates the backside of this awful airplane and you go jam all the brakes on because you're about to run into an old cabin crew doing the demonstration in the in the cabin all fall over um because you 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 know but every other airplane has it right in front of you on the end of the tail so yeah that's uh,
2: how that's what i'm familiar with all the ga airplanes have it on the tail
4: well, I can't talk for all the Boeings, um, <laughs> and as far as, you know, whether it's on the tail or not. I think I've flown Boeings that have or maybe it was the L ten eleven that I had on the tail. I don't know. I don't remember anymore. I'm losing my mind.
1: I don't know which one's but, Too much do or not, time but, uh, behind
5: that radar.
4: Yeah, I think oh that's good. true. That's <laughs> so true. Too much but, uh, time. You
1: only need those nav- uh, those green, red, and white lights. We call navigation lights here. Yeah. And I lights. think they're the only legal requirement. Perhaps you need an anti-collision light. Yeah, we, um, we need one here. You,
5: you need beacon. Yeah,
1: but you, you can get away with any one beacon because if if the top or the bottom is broken, you can carry on, I think. Uh, and then, but you've got to get it fixed for the next flight or something. And as for opposed to the the white strobes that we nowadays have, which are just massively brighter, because the actual candle power required for your nav lights is incredibly low. They they don't actually have to be very powerful. Uh, and those white strobes that we have, that are real attention getters, they're not actually required according to the navigation order, certainly in the UK. So if they're broken, you can get away with that for quite a while. But uh, um, just those those dim little coloured lights and the one beacon, I think, is the minimum requirement.
2: Yeah. So here in the US, the uh, the strobes and the beacon are both captured on the under the umbrella of anti-collision. Mm-hmm. lights and so you just need to have a functional anti-collision light okay. uh, and it's you know some guys have them like a whole unit in the wingtips on my airplane I have a white strobe on the belly and a red strobe on the, the top how about um, the airplane <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, in terms of LEDs uh, they do have a longer lifespan the other important thing about an LED is that the draw is like an order of magnitude smaller. So like when I replaced, I had a, and it's not an apples to apples comparison. Cause I had a rotating beacon on my airplane and that is literally a light fixture on top of the airplane that has a motor in it with like, it has two bulbs facing opposite directions from each other. The whole entire fixture is attached to a turntable and it's got a motor that spins that turntable. Wow. And then it's got those two two bright bulbs, and that's... The don't beat. the wires get twisted up? The wires, no, they don't. Yeah, only turns like oh, five magic. times before it How stops. How clever is that? And it's got to go down oh, the way. <laughs> 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 uh, so, so we're powering the light bulbs and the turntable motor, right? But um, when I went to a LED strobe from that, the draw went from like 9.8 amps to like 0. 0.9 or 1.1 1. 1 amps. So, oh, wow. That makes a difference. It does. It especially does when you you know um, distribute it across five or six bulbs or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's the other big advantage to LEDs in addition to their lifespan. Yeah the um, the
4: white lights are um, being switched over to LED lighting. Although a lot of the jets they'll have you know like the the uh, what is the uh, the regular uh, lighting technology. Uh, incandescent incandescent thank you incandescent lighting or led like one side could be an incandescent white light and then on the other side it's the uh, led lights and uh, the strobe of course with the incandescent you have the incandescent white and then you also have a strobe light all in the same housing on the other Mm -hmm. side the led system is a a combination like the 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 top and bottom row are the are the steady white and then the middle are the uh, strobes that come on when you you know, at a certain point where you are cleared for takeoff, you turn those on. Um, let's see. O'Neill Landworm is asking, can you play disco on the turntable at the same time? That's for Nick.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. the, the disco vibe was really turned up with the LEDs also, I must say.
4: Yeah. Now, If you, <laughs> if you have a lot of bays, that really, I mean, the amperage goes way up.
1: Yeah. yeah oh, that's very true. Very true. I'm going to snitch on Turkish airlines now because we were getting airborne out of, uh, Joburg, <laughs> behind Turkish, another A340, and uh, I noticed he didn't have any nav lights on. Uh, so I I did what was commonly done, which is a polite way. You just hit the transmit button. You don't embarrass the chap. You just say, nav lights, and everyone... That's on the frequency looks and checks
0: <laughs> that sure sure A- And
1: nothing happened with this aircraft. So I had to go, uh the Turkish nav lights. And again, nothing happened. He's still it's pitch black out there. No. Uh, you know, in Africa, and uh it's still no lights. So eventually we he was very nearly the uh, start of the takeoff run. So eventually I said uh, Joe out. could you tell Turkish you yeah, do not have any nav lights on? So they were very good. They said, Turkish, you don't have any nav lights on. Don't <laughs> <No laughs> reply. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And he blasted off into the <laughs> darkness. Any like not you. On at
4: all. <laughs> wow.
5: Hopefully they were going far enough that when they landed, it was going to be light again.
1: Probably, yes. Mm. And they just didn't care.
4: I could just hear them in the cockpit gun. Don't answer. Don't say anything. <laughs> yes.
5: Surely they'd mean a different Turkish Airlines. Yeah. It's not us. 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 us. Yes. Continue. Okay. We we take off clearance. All right. Bye. No yeah. 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 And, I, I did have a uh, landing light fail in flight one time um, at night. It was absolutely working before we took off on that flight. We checked it. Um, it was also fun because the at first the um, Runway lights also did not want to come on, so that made for some interesting uh, discussions. Yeah, so, it was yeah. a very it was a full moon that night, which which helped, <laughs> <laughs> but it was still quite dark. We did get the runway lights on before we actually landed. Though, a just comment just here dark. from Ihall Boxes.
4: Ihall <laughs> uh, oh. Boxes, as a certain at a certain age,
2: they forget to turn their blinkers off. Sitting in oh, that oh, left lane, that, with the yeah, that's, a, a that's following a previous comment talking about how pilots. Oh. Get excited about all their strobes in their airplane, blinkers. but then won't use their blinker in their car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Well, I'm a pilot that uses, always uses my blinkers in the car. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, just to warn people, you know, watch out. This is what my intent is. <laughs> yeah. Move out of the way. Coming I'm over. Coming, yep. I'm, <laughs> coming over. <laughs> I'm coming over. I'm um, All right. Uh, so, hope that answered your question. I know we didn't do as well as uh, Professor Miami Rick would have, but. We did our best. Um, let's see. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's true. If Rick was here, there's all sorts of, in the, in the FARs, in the FARs, the regulations, there's all sorts of intensity thresholds, angle thresholds. Um, mm. Well, yeah, thank goodness
5: none of us actually know any of that stuff and we'd have to really reference it specifically. specifically.
4: Yeah, yeah.
1: 70, 70 degrees, I wasn't going to mention it.
4: Yeah, well, that <laughs> somebody else did, and you just read that.
0: Yeah. Eye boxes. Cheater!
4: Yeah. Thanks, eye haul boxes. Eye haul boxes. <laughs> those
0: cargo guys know their stuff.
4: Oh, uh, yeah, those cargo guys—they have nothing else to do I'm read know, these they manuals.
1: They going out with their protractors, measuring the angle of their nav lights.
4: Part of the pre-flight checklist. Okay, uh, number ten. Uh, this is from <laughs> Anonymous. Mouse, uh, anonymous, anonymous. Uh Russian maintenance. Uh, hey there, APG crew and listeners, I'm transcribing my audio feedback into written text for anonymity due to the subject matter. okay? I'm a bit behind. Hello, future me uh, as I only get time during my commute between my work location and home for an hour and a half each way on the weekends. I wanted to provide some feedback on episode 546 about the Russian practices where pilots were encouraged to do to do some of the maintenance. Stories like this still pop up on the news cycles occasionally, so it would seem like this feedback may still be relevant, despite my tardiness. You broke into a discussion about the maintenance practice of stripping some aircraft, both new and old, of parts to keep other airplanes flying. You are correct that this is a headache for all those involved. Not long ago, I completed schooling and testing for my A&P certification and was quickly hired by the largest manufacturer of aircraft in the United States. As a quality inspector at what is now the only storage facility for their most popular single-aisle aircraft one of the jobs of our mechanics is to occasionally strip parts from full fully functioning aircraft and ship them back to the factory for installation on future aircraft for this company it comes down to the supply chain crisis the practice causes so many other issues as you alluded to in your discussion the physical process of removing parts is not always so simple Also, space is at a premium on any size plane and many parts are installed in places that are not always easy to access, Um, especially things that do not need regular maintenance. This means that the removal process can be difficult causing damage to the parts. While sometimes the damage is simply cosmetic, in some cases the part may be unusable. I think it was Captain Nick who mentioned how each part needs a paper trail for the removal and installation, but it goes way beyond that to also including the handling and testing of the parts as well. Each part has to have a log when the part is removed, a LOTO, a lockout tagout, rending the aircraft inoperable, an inspection of the removed part, in some cases testing of the part a log of the part being installed on the new aircraft, and depending on the part, all this is done in reverse because many of the parts will be removed again to be replaced back on the aircraft from which they came. After all that, any parts that had to be scrapped will require additional parts from the supplier before a plane can be operational again. I've heard that some 10% or more of the parts are damaged beyond repair. You can see how this can cause even bigger uh, and uh, an even bigger stain not just on the manufacturing of aircraft but on the supplier as well
0: maybe strain this
4: oh uh, bigger strain yeah that's probably what he meant okay you can see how this can cause an even bigger strain not just on the manufacturing of aircraft but on the supplier as well this causes a string for such a large company this causes a string uh, strain. Strain. strain again? Okay. Mm. This, Probably also strain. Yeah. yeah. This causes a strain for such a large company. Now imagine what the Russian companies are going to have to deal with. They will not have access to OEM parts, uh, original equipment manufacturer, and who knows if they are keeping track of everything properly. In the end, if those donor planes fly again, it may be with parts that were not certified for that aircraft to begin with. This will be a huge safety concern in the future, but I guess that is for future Russia to worry about. If those airplanes ever end up back in the skies, that will not be good. If those airplanes end up in someone else's fleet, there will be so much work required. How easy it will be to miss a small critical part. I cannot see how those planes can ever be trusted again. That's my view from this side of the flight deck door. Uh, P.S., I know it's a bit late, but I wanted to con- congratulate Nick Camacho, Macho Camacho, on completing his AMP certi- certification. I wish everyone blue skies and tailwinds. And again, that's from Anonymous. All right.
2: Very nice feedback, eh? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, and good points. Like, it's a, uh, that's just like one very small, but, uh, you know, very important point to think about how life is going to be different over there right like it's there are so many near-term impacts of the situation that they're in over there but also to consider how much uh long-term damage is going to be done it's pretty uh pretty interesting to think about
1: I thought it was nice when he mentioned uh, that each part has a lotto. I suppose that's some kind of gamble as to whether it'll ever work again.
4: <laughs> okay. Uh, let's continue. I'm sorry. I was I was communicating with the control room. I wasn't, I was ignoring it. He was on the was landline. Saying. I was on the landline. Yeah. Leave me alone. I, I don't feel good. Leave me alone. Um. Let's, uh, oh, we got some more video here. Uh, was <laughs> that what you were trying <laughs> to tell me? I don't sound so excited
0: about it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> we're going to continue on with some feedback uh, from Robert. He attended the Atlanta heli expo or he- Healy? heli <laughs> helicopter. It's a hell of an expo. That's for sure. And, uh, let him, uh, tell us what he's doing there.
7: Hello, crew from the Helicopter Expo, the Georgia World Congress Center. This uh, first weekend, and uh, actually, I guess yeah, second weekend in March. And um, I was snuck in by a friend in the aviation business. I guess you could say he is a extended extended Acme family member, and uh, it's really cool. I did not know that this was um, you know, coming to Atlanta until my friend said he'd be in town. And also at World Congress Center, they literally fly in dozens of helicopters. I am including a number of the uh, pictures from the event. And uh, apparently the process for that, there is a helipad here near World Congress Center. They fly in there. And then they are, you know, moved into position. Also, apparently, the fire marshal has to come by and clear, you know, the area to make sure that, you know, there's no undue uh, hazards there. So it's really cool, quite a logistical challenge, as you can imagine, to not only move in all of these helicopters, but all of these exhibits that you see around. Um, My birthday is coming up this month, if anybody wants to spring, apparently Airbus has an aston martin edition helicopter uh you know put a picture in that for you guys appreciate any donations that you may want to get for that but otherwise it's a really cool event i have a couple of calendars maybe a look around for a little more swag uh, but i want to share this with the crew not typically something you guys talk about but i figured you would be interested so have a good week and uh, thanks for all you're doing maybe see you soon bye
4: Thanks, Robert, uh, in Tucker, Georgia. And uh, was he talking about that last little thing there that was a platform scooting around?
1: I don't know. It's called a wagon. Wagon. I presume it was for moving your helicopter around. That is cool.
4: That's the most cool thing I think I I, I saw in his video right here. Let's uh, (laughs) do that again. Uh, Hit play. Look at that thing. Ooh, neat.
5: It reminds me of when they wanted to have like the, uh, what are those things, like the driverless tugs and stuff to pull aircraft Mm -hmm. to. Yeah,
4: Yeah, uh, whatever came of that. Nothing. (laughs) 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 Remember, I mean, everybody was coming up with one of those, um, you know. Yeah, this
5: would be great. We'll just, you know, it'll be uh, cost effective, fuel efficient. uh, And we were
4: all kind of going, well, I don't know, kind of poo-pooing the whole idea Yeah. Well, I guess they they could say that the pandemic kind of set that back uh, a, a few years, perhaps. I don't know. Sure. Yeah.
5: Sure. I texted you
0: what I was trying to say.
4: Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. I'm sorry, Liz. I couldn't hear what you were saying over the over the Just video um, audio. Um. And so now I need to re look exactly what it was that you typed to me. Um, it's not that great. Okay, word, that man. guy trying to steal a helicopter in Sacramento was in the wrong place. But yeah, he was. He would have had so many more <laughs> things to choose from. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so I, I gather what he was saying is that it was at the World Congress Center, which is in downtown Atlanta, um, and they had to land at a heliport and then somehow move. I guess maybe that little fancy little heli wagon thing to over to the World Congress Center. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Inter- interesting. Well, thanks. Thanks, Robert. Okay, uh, let's continue with the uh, next item from Brian. Hi, Captain Jeff. Hope you and the crew are doing well. I'm sitting at the observation deck at Haneda
5: Haneda. Haneda
4: Airport watching the planes land. I've noticed something different that I've never seen before, or at least I don't think I've seen it. When the planes are landing, before the nose gear touches the ground, the engine reverse thrusters are deployed. Uh, is this normal or something special for landings here at Haneda, Haneda, uh, by the way, after this flight, I will only have, I'm, I'm not very confident today, by the way, after this flight, I will have only one more flight before I'm one K for life on United Airlines. Oh, this is Brian, uh, passenger, Brian, um,
5: Pasadena, Brian,
4: Pasadena, Brian, even. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh, let's see. It starts with a P that's close enough. Um, Our main man, Micah, and I are still documenting my travels at thejourneyisthereward.org. Wow. I thought that was going to take a little bit longer than uh, uh, it has uh, for him. uh,
5: It's
4: been flying a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, Brian, that's a good question. Um, So, I would like to say, and I'm sure that others will chime in regarding reverse thrust. I think it depends on the airplane. Uh, there are some airplanes that, like the, for instance, the one I fly. Um, if I, if we touch down and I put the reverse thrust levers out immediately, even before the nose wheel comes down, which is kind of what I do, uh, the reversers are not going to activate until the, uh, the ground the ground sense switch on the nose wheel is compressed and makes contact, and and the airplane thinks it's on the ground, and then the reverse thrust system oh, will whatever. start.
1: We could get ours academic. out with just the main wheels down.
4: Uh-huh. I, it depends on the airplane, as I said. There are some airplanes yeah. I've flown that are like what just Nick Nick just said. In fact, I think the uh, the Mad Dog uh, didn't require the nose wheel to be on the ground for the reverse thrust to activate. Now they did kind of tell us at various times during the 18 years that i flew it one uh (laughs) different things like (laughs) how many times they change oh they they change it all it's fine
5: it's not fine you know how this works it's
4: new people come into the uh and they take over positions and management and we're going to change this we're going to change this and now now we're going to change it back the way it was like 20 years ago um but uh there was (laughs) at one point where they said okay you, you know the nose wheel has to be on the ground before you deploy the thrust reversers, uh, and then or some well the nose has to be coming down and almost touching down, and you can put it's. I don't know. It depends on the airplane and the and the operating uh, standard operating procedure for the airline. I guess I guess is the way to answer that question. Now, Nick, you said that yours you can. I mean, I I've flown airplanes where if you want to deploy the thrust reversers in flight, you could. It would be a good idea. <laughs> but um,
1: I think the DC-8
4: could do that. Yeah, the DC-8 could. Yeah, they'd they they'd the didn't have boards.
1: Uh, air brakes, yeah, so they could use the thrust reversers in flight. And it's I heard C-17? that it was really dangerous.
4: What's that?
5: Something about the C-17? No, am 17
4: I? C-17. I don't uh, know if they actually have reversers that uh, come there was out. something odd, but I they have like wrong. blown uh, blown lift uh, systems that I don't know. Where's Where's okay. Rick when we need him? I, uh, or, I, but uh, I,
1: think Craig, you might be right, yeah, Steph. i have a feeling
4: that I have heard that. Yeah,
5: as
1: well.
4: Yeah, maybe someone they do. will,
5: someone will correct me. The tactical
1: landing.
4: Now, I've not been in said. a DC eight when they use reverse thrust in flight, but I hear it's like you feel like the airplane's about to fall apart. <laughs> I mean, it's not <laughs> something that they yeah. would do routinely because it's yeah. not a comfortable feeling. It just shakes the whole airplane. Um, yeah. But. Uh,
1: we could certainly get the inboard reversers out very quickly uh, mm-hmm. on the uh, Airbuses, but the outboard reversers required interlocks to prevent asymmetric reverser deployment uh, on, on those outboard engines because they would quite give you quite a big yawing moment. Uh, so they had to activate together, and they always took a bit longer. In fact, you could whip the two inside reverser levers up and then you could sort of hang on the outside ones and you'd actually feel the physical locks disengage on the throttle quadrant to allow you to pull. You could engage them at idle, but you to get any power on them, you'd have to wait for those interlocks to uh, release and then you could uh, he bring them up and get full thrust reverse on all four. So if you, if you wanted to be really quick with them, it was a bit of a complicated thing. If you were just willing to wait a bit you could just gently deploy all four at the same time, but you'd have used up a 1,000 feet or so by the time you got to that point. <laughs> Hello?
4: Uh, <laughs> well, here, I,
5: I can add this. Uh, super Fred Driver says, in the C5M, we can and do deploy thrust reversers in flight.
4: Awesome. Thank you. you <laughs> yeah. Okay, we have the answer. We don't have to wait for Craig or uh, uh Oh, is a so colonel, colonel well, no, a Major C, Rick?
5: the C5M, not the I I said C17, so I'm not sure. Oh, that, C5M. No, well, that's
4: different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Is Mr.
2: Foods. C5 wild
1: Marvelous. Is that what that
4: stands? I think for? that's what it
2: indeed it stands for. Yeah. Um, is the uh Dr. Steph, is are the yes. beta systems in the airplanes you fly any different?
5: Um well, so beta one thing, but reverse—you you definitely are not going to.
2: Is beta reverse. a pre-production version?
5: Yeah, it's the it's the first model. No, so it's okay. kind of this. Um, <laughs>
4: I thought alpha was the first one.
5: Alpha first, yeah. So we can, especially in the um, the caravan, we do we could do beta approaches. So you bring the um, uh, prop up to full, and force, course, and fine pitch mean nothing to me. So you can tell me correctly on that one, Nick. Um, but basically. Um, you're you're not in reverse, um, but the prop, the prop is coming back and you can actually really make a steep approach down to the the runway without increasing your speed in that case.
2: It's as, the propeller is null. as flat as it yeah. can go. It's as right. flat
5: as it can go. It's kind of this null zone um, in that area between forward thrust and then reverse.
2: So there's no, there's no logic gates that keep you out of that in flight. There is do you not. have any sort of switches like Jeff was talking about to keep you out of reverse in flight? Nope. Or do they just say, don't do that? <laughs> don't do that. Just okay. don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Not smart.
5: Nope. There, And to my knowledge, there are actually instances where that's been causative in uh, accidents. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there's a gate. So as you're bringing the prop back, you would have to actually like, There's a little mechanism to lift uh, and then come over the gate. So you would have to do that. You don't have to do that to um, um, be in beta, though.
1: Super Fred says you're right, Steph. The C-17 does do it as well. But apparently those airplanes aren't as cool as a C-5.
5: I see. The C-5
1: marvelous.
4: (laughs) (laughs) There's no
5: C-17M.
4: Not yet. Yeah. They're, they're working on the. I will say this about the,
5: the the beta approaches are interesting. They're they're very noisy and loud. So. Yeah.
1: Noisy and loud.
5: Yeah, noisy wow. and loud. Yeah, and it, specifically at our airport, um, that final approach is directly over a couple of houses. Um, so I actually try to avoid doing that too frequently because they don't care for it. Hmm. But it is a good, right. good tool. Poopers. If you set up your set up your approach a little too close to the airport, you can slow the aircraft down. Um, you can get the propeller into beta around um, hundred knots if you slow down that much and have, have the prop full forward. So.
4: Mm, sounds, sounds like fun. a bunch of bunch of yeehaw cowboys to me.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, cowgirls.
4: <Can go> <laughs> yeah, cowgirls. All right, um, I think I think we're going to stop uh, with this last one, uh, number fifteen. Uh, just kind of a little bit of lighthearted. Again, from Robert in Tucker, Georgia. He says, I'm not sure if it was a slow news day out west, but this was rather humorous to me. Probably not for the owners of the bags, though. And uh, it's the news item is luggage seen blowing around the San Francisco tarmac. Uh, it was so windy at SFO today, nobody wants to take off except this bag. So let's uh, play the video. It's pretty funny i think pretty impressive actually very stable um, low center Simple of gravity on the bag uh, it's it's scooting along the uh, the ramp area and the actually in the taxiway area now it's approaching the oh runway oh <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: it, oh, it, wipe
1: out. it, it wiped it out
4: took off there it for a second. second it did it was uh, i think it had received clearance for takeoff from tower um, <laughs> and uh, let's see that again i just you, you
2: can't Stop watching it, in my opinion. No, it's there. It is. Ride. It's just also, uh, should give some props to the SFO facilities people for having that smooth of a hard surface. Oh, that I those know tiny little yeah. wheels don't trip over it and
5: mm-hmm. tumble mm-hmm. that bag.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you
5: think it would have fallen over long before it got to the yeah. actual like grassy area or
2: whatever the fake, yeah,
4: that's great. Uh, thank you. Robert for sending that in that kind of tickled me. All right. Um, without, uh, further ado, I think it's now time for us to wrap up the show. And I do apologize again for me being a little bit under the weather here today. Um, uh, I'm not, My Always I don't been fun,
1: to, Jeff. We've uh, enjoyed it.
4: <laughs> I, I hope you enjoyed it. I have not been enjoying it. Um, but I'm glad that I, I, I brought, uh, some, some glee, and and all that merriment to uh a little bit and uh anyway we're gonna tell you all about our website right now airlinepilotguy.com uh lots of stuff there i'm not even gonna go through all of it just go to airlinepilotguy.com and you'll be able to see all the great stuff that's going on there and we're also on the social medias the social medias
5: Hey, we are on social medias. You can find us on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guide. We're also on Twitter at APG crew with our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page. And then also on Instagram for the uh, weekly lovely show art done by Captain Nick or APG crew. And for a deeper dive, and it sounds like based on some discussion earlier, I guess all the notifications for when the show is going to be recorded live and things like that, um, You can find that on Slack. Well, they could, but there's apparently the... Well, sometimes when it's working correctly.
4: Yeah, so I guess it's not really working correctly at the time. The Twitter integration uh, with uh, Slack is uh, hitting some bumps, some speed bumps. Uh, So if if you're on Slack, make sure you're also following us on Twitter and Facebook. There you go. You cover all the bases there. And uh, let's see if... uh, Nope. If uh, Hillel is here today to tell us about Slack... Okay, good. I hear the I hear the shower running. Hello. Hello. Can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay. We're used to it. Come on over here, and uh, okay, good. He has his uh his uh what do you call that thing? Towel. A robe. Towel. On uh, and a towel, <laughs> and uh, we're gonna hear him tell us about Slack.
2: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
4: All right, Where thanks.
2: So the soap?
4: It's in the soap isn't it? Does, <laughs> We don't use soap anymore. Shower gel. All right. Um, am I still on the air? I hope so. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: Someone,
4: hope We're still here. Up. Okay, good. I wasn't sure. Uh, all righty. Uh, what happened to uh, Nick Camacho? He's gone. He had he to had, leave, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I guess. Okay. There you go, Feather. Well, <laughs> that was all he could take. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> out of here. Uh, anyway, uh, so thank you, Hillel, uh, again. Uh, send an email to him. I, you know, I still haven't asked him if that email works. Hello uh, at com, but I, I think it does. Anyway, uh, well, I don't really know what else to say anymore. Um, I guess what we should say uh, thank you for being with us today. Tell all your friends. Uh, don't tell them about this specific show because it was crap. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, Thank you oh, for. i <laughs> glad you did. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, a Special thanks for our, uh, our our what do you call them? Live audience people, uh, the uh, chat room people, chat room, and uh, also a great uh, thank you to Liz Piper, producer Hooray! in the background, trying to keep me That's straight. And oh, look, I have the fade out working again. Yay. And hey, uh, until next time, wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas.
5: Cheers, y'all. Bye, buddy.
0: Take care. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.
3: such a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats airline not a guy I fly I'm always flying. I just don't have the time. But I can land this old plane. I can land it just fine. Airline, not a guy. I'm flying.